Just, just a just a typical church service at my church. <laughs> I wore a black robe. I was called the Mad Monk. This is Revelations Radio News with Andrew Hoffman and Tim Kilkenny on the Revelations Radio Network. Podcasting to you from the foggy forest of Meadowdale, Washington, where I am one of your hosts, and my name is Tim Kilkenny. And usually at this point, we would have Andrew Hoffman jump in and tell us that he is the other host, but Andrew Hoffman bailed on the show tonight. I felt the urge to continue on, to soldier on, and after an extensive list of people and exhausting the entire list... I came to Dr. Future and thought that I should call him and see if he would do a show. So I, with great, great honor, I give you Mr. Dr. Future. Were you not able to get the guy with the Argonne energy generator from Future Quake? <laughs> was he not available tonight? I miss that guy. That guy was awesome. Oh, yeah. So, so those of you who don't know, I, I am totally kidding. Uh, this is Dr. Future, the man, the myth, the legend, the uh, author of... Several upcoming books, as well as the uh, the producer and of a of a of a semi famous podcast, pretty famous in our circles, called Future Quake. It, those, have, I mean, it's possible. It's been a while since some of the people have tuned in to Revelations Radio News, and we've had some newer listeners. So it is possible they don't know who you are. Um, I just want to tell you guys it used to be Revelations Radio News was a podcast on this network called revelations radio network and i think future quake was probably the most popular podcast on there and not just to be classified as a podcast it actually was on the over the air radio there in uh, nashville tennessee and other places right all right that's right first on radio free nashville which was sort of a hippie community radio station and uh was on there for three years and then we got a little bit too preachy but they are good folks. I really love them. I appreciate them. But anyway, we ended up on a Christian radio station, which was just like really sort of hardcore neocon Christian radio. And then the half hour before sign-off, uh, during the rush hour, uh, Dr. Future and Tom Bionic came on and uh, set the record straight. So, yeah, we were on there for about four more years. That's awesome. And then so yeah. the, the funny part about that is uh, you once told me that – um, she or that you never received a complaint, even though the you know you covered some very interesting topics, and uh, I thought that was interesting that no one ever called into the radio station to complain or to even pass right. any sort of judgment. Because for those of you who don't know, of course, you were not you were the odd man out on a neocon website. Oh yeah, I mean it was just hardcore, uh, hard right neocon, pro war, you know, pro hardcore Zionism, everything on and on and on. And very little Jesus, very little Bible, you know, all that. It, but these were all national shows like Janet Parshall and, of course, Focus on the Family and stuff like that. And then they would have uh, us two knuckleheads, you know, produced out of the bedroom, but uploaded the show and played over the airwaves. And we reached like three or four states with their signal. It was a, It was really a community station, although it was operated 
by a group affiliated with Traveca University. But it wasn't really a campus station. It was really a community station. It ran all nationally produced stuff. It just I think what they did was they trained people in their communications department that ran it, and I never heard a thing from them. All I would do is every week, it was on every day, every day from, uh, I think it was 4 to 4.30 uh, drive time. And uh, they would upload them and play them. I never heard anything for three years. And at the end of it, I finally said, well, the station was sold. That's the reason why it went away. It was sold. And I said, you know, I never heard anything. Did you all think we were nuts or something? Or just afraid? They never charged us a penny to be on the air, to be on like a multi-state radio station. And I asked when they said, well, actually, you were our very favorite show. You were the show everybody at the radio station enjoyed, although they never said a thing. And I ran to some of them at a gas pump like a year later, and that's what they said. They, they so miss Future Quake. And those were mainstream Christian college uh, senior, like, you know, 40, 50-year-old people working with it, about as mainstream as you can imagine, evangelical. But there was a thirst for it. And I tell you, one thing that did happen is that we got a ton of people at our church because while we were on the air, the best I could track we had, it was almost 50-50 split over the Internet, internationally, and over local radio. And we had about 35,000 local radio regular listeners and 35,000 on the Internet. And uh, it was interesting. Small so, so similar, yeah. similar show to this size. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, you know, I hope. I don't <laughs> no, know. Have no, you, not at all. Not at all. Well. Have you uh, been able to track since you all have been really back and going at it now yeah, about how many listeners? No, we got we got about half the listeners we had when we, when we uh, took our hiatus oh. a year ago. So we're just that's still good. We have a small niche and, and we we try to fill it. You know, we're basically it's just out quality. here. We're just out here trying to tell people that the sky isn't falling. To you know, love your kids, stay calm, and uh, and well, uh, who else are they going to listen to if not you? <laughs> I can I can list you twenty groups in Christian radio. In fact. In alternative Christian radio, there's a few of them that are former Revelations Radio New guys that I could put a thumbs up to, but I could count them on one hand and have a few fingers left over. <laughs> and then there's you all. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. It's certainly uh, it's uh, we certainly didn't come on here for you to praise me in any way. I just wanted to. I, I'm yeah, happy get to get that over with. Well, yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy to have you on here though for, for for serious, for real, as the kids say these days. Because uh, you know, I think we've been uh, missing on hearing from you. Uh, a lot of people yeah. uh, maybe haven't even heard of you. I think we just covered a little bit there. Um, you know, but for those of you that don't know, Andrew and I both do look up to to Doctor Future. He's been on. Uh, Goodness, all kinds of shows, coast to coast. He used to be a regular appear on. Uh, oh shoot! The, now I've forgotten the guy who looks over the uh, the the bay there in California. Uh, oh, you talking about Doctor Stan Monteith? Yeah, Doctor Stan Monteith, the, 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 the late departed. Stan yes, Monteith. I love Stan Monteith. Uh, in uh, you know, even on. I think, go ahead. Yeah, he's in the Great Bohemian Grove in the sky. <laughs> You've been on the Corbett Report. You've been on all kinds of shows. So, yeah. and you've, you've you've gotten around. You've got some uh, books out coming, and uh, we, we want to catch yeah. up on all that. But anything going on in, in the personal life that you want to share with the listeners, or anything going on with you that you well, want to share? I well, haven't. The, and the, just to let everybody know, yeah. I just basically called just a moment ago. You know, a few hours ago, and and, and threw this idea to, yeah. to the to the very very gracious Doctor Future, and we haven't talked in months, maybe even a year. Uh, so. I haven't heard from him. He hasn't heard from me, so this will yeah. all be new to both of us. feels like it's been a lot longer than that. In fact, after you called, it was just a couple hours ago before now, so I didn't have anything planned. But I actually I, I thought it was funny that probably both of us thought the other was dead. 
and that it was amazing. We're like, wow, he's still alive. That's probably went through both our minds. So, you know, it's good to know that we're still living, and it's like the old Mexican prize fighters, you know? You're, you're not down until you don't get up and answer the bell. And I feel like you and I are like in a 500-round fight. We just keep getting up answering the bell. <laughs> Well, I, you know, I'd still, we take I'm, a lot of punches, but we still, they can't keep us down on the mat, you know, happy to be, a glass jaw. <laughs> happy to be in the ring with you. However, speaking of people who we haven't heard from in a very long time, what do you know about Chris White? <laughs> Chris White. <laughs> Whatever. I, I mean, I've, if you know I more than I've you want to make, of him. yeah, if you don't want well, to, if you know more than you want to make public, I totally understand, but I think, and I haven't I texted him or called, so I, yeah. I can't, I can't say anything, but. He's overdue. Yeah, he's overdue for a call from me, but he has a public persona, so I think we can mention that. Does he? You know what he's famous for now, don't you? The cover clamp? The cover clamp. <laughs> you know, all that work he did for, uh, uh, oh, shoot, now I just forgot the name of his show. Uh, running for cover. Yeah, nowhere to run. Anyway, all that was a cover just so he could be Mr. Cover Clamp. That was all just a cover operation, I think. Yeah. So, you know, all those like 10 years or whatever of, you know, fighting the new age or whatever like that, his destiny was, was to design covers so your, your bed mate doesn't pull the covers off of you. So I was thinking about that too. I feel that like too. that's a spiritual calling, I well, think. <laughs> we were just talking about this last week or a week before. Uh, you know, he really led the way in this whole, you know, there's a big uh, shakeup on YouTube these days with uh, demonetization. They're taking accounts down and demonetizing them. And, you know, that's been a real gravy train for yeah. a lot of people. If you can believe it, you know, you go on there and make a successful makeup tips video or, mm -hmm. you know, shopping for five people. And this is how I, I do it video. And you can get millions of viewers and make a decent living out of it. Um, more than I decent. I can't tell you. I can tell you how not to make a lot of money is talk about the stuff you and I talk about. <laughs> That's absolutely true. That but, is the one where somebody says, I really have renounced all money. I want to be a hermit. <laughs> well, then why don't you do what we do? I will guarantee you not a penny. Well, now, I take that back. I need to apologize to two very, very dear friends. Uh, and um, I'll just say uh, Bill and Steve are their names. And they have hung with me. I never asked them to. But they have hung with me and made you know a modest contribution every month to help keep Future Quake up, and I've even used a few dollars to buy a used book now and then for my writing. So I need to, rem to remember that those two that they really uh, have stuck with me. I mean, how long have I been off the air? I've been off the air six years now, and uh, they have still every month provided that you know that bit to uh, keep things rolling. So I better watch what I say, but <laughs> them excluding. I wouldn't say I haven't. Li I don't have a um, you know a jet or anything like that. I don't know about you. I don't. You all have that, but you know I don't have anything like that. I don't have a hotel complex or anything. Yeah. Uh, I know we did used to talk about the uh, commissary of Future Quake, where uh, Pyro and uh, Merv, the announcer, would sling the hash at the <laughs> commissary, but wearing that little hairnets. <laughs> But you know, we lost all that after the big future quake scandal. You sure, know, sure, and that, you know that 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 empire came down quickly. Well, anyway, I was just finished saying that. Uh, you remember, Chris used to get his account suspended on the regular. It was for you know debunking Jordan Maxwell or putting you know debunking yeah. ancient aliens and you know Wisconsin. The good old days. Yeah, the good old days when YouTube was kind of free flowing. You never knew what you could find on there. Now okay. it's uh, it's a whole different game. But we're not here to necessarily. Uh, talk about YouTube. Uh, 
I guess, uh, you know, things are going good up here. I've, as, as I told you earlier, I have a, a little one now. He's 16 months old. Amazing. And my wife and I uh, bought a house this last year. So we're, uh, you know, trying You're to... You're domesticated. Domesticated. <laughs> so, yeah, you know how Dr. Future feels. Got to <laughs> take care of property. Oh, they pay the property tax. Yep. You can't live like bohemian. <laughs> <laughs> and we're moving around yeah. paying this paying the low rent, quote unquote. No, you can't live like those people on friends anymore, you know. <laughs> That's exactly how it was. There, cut the grass and well congratulations on Thank the real you, world. Sir. I couldn't happen to do a better guy. And uh I, I'm I'm very glad for you. Now now you're now you know what life is really about, chores. <laughs> <laughs> That's about right. That's it's all life is, it's chores. Either, it's either chores or paying someone to do your chores so that you have to work to pay someone to do your chores. That's, so. Yeah, and you pay them too much and they don't show up and they always go over. <laughs> and then you got to go back to changing diapers again. Yep, yep. There you go. There it is. Like heaven on earth. <laughs> it is. So, obviously, the show has been off for like a year. We just came back these last three months. Uh but right before we took Oh, a- I saw the protest when it went off. I mean, it was the the nation was in flames. <laughs> I don't think I had, so. It, been, it know, may have I been had, for a different reason. Well, I, I saw that Revelation Lives Matters uh marches and it was amazing. So a lot has happened on the political landscape since then. Uh boy howdy. Can you really? can you imagine? <laughs> Just another year. That 2016 election was a was an interesting one for the ages, um, and then uh, Mr. Trump comes out ahead. And now we spoke just very briefly before this call got started, and I talked about how, you know, I didn't think Trump was any kind of answer. But here, living in liberal land, you know, all the right people hate him. <laughs> so, yeah. it's, so it sometimes I find myself just like, hey, give the guy a benefit of the doubt. He's not the you know the literal antichrist or something like this. And you know, people people are unhealthily mad. And I'm not saying that he's a good leader or that we should not ask for more for our from our leaders than what we're getting from him. But uh, a lot of people around these parts are really mad to a point that I think is slightly unhealthy. And we've been talking about that in the show and uh, just trying to talk, talk about, you know, what's going on and try to remind people that, you know, school shootings aren't the leading cause of death in the U S and we should all kind of stay calm and love your neighbor and, and kind of stick to uh, our own little lives and try to divorce ourselves from the telescreen, whether it's in our, pocket or hanging up on the wall uh, as much as we can so um you know uh, the floor is yours i'd love to hear your thoughts on any or all of that well i have like 10 million things to say yeah i mean on this topic writing a book series and everything (laughs) the problem is uh when you called me i don't know what's happening we've got a lot going on under our roof right now a lot of domestic, like financial things, we're trying to work out, and some purchases, and some other you know, it's remodeling. And anyway, I've been burning the midnight oil plus writing every day. And I, I want to mention briefly, because I'd like to ask for the prayers of your listeners. Um, my other future Quake co-host, Pyro, um, he turned sixteen in December, and uh, right after that, um, Pyro's he a dog. Started, yeah, well, I guess you could call him that. I'm sorry, yeah, he's a shepu. Okay. But anyway, um, he uh, he started just throwing up nonstop. Couldn't keep food down and just acting unlike himself. And uh, we kept trying stuff, trying to get him to eat, and he wasn't eating. And we found out after an ultrasound that he has a tumor, liver tumor. Oof. 
and uh, that was early January, and he he didn't eat for almost a week, and the vet had told us that uh, it was on a Friday that we'd better bring him in Monday and end things. And so um, he's just he's our only family member, he's our only child, and uh, for Mrs. Future and I, and and uh, so we just prayed hard and just kept trying different kinds of food and different kind of things. And uh, by the way, well, my my health is a whole other matter that you may not know about. But anyway, um, we uh, have just tried to like give him overwhelming attention and uh, trying millions of different kinds of foods and all sorts of medicines he's on, and he's still with us. He's right here with me, uh, like he was when we did Future Quake. Um, he's still a struggle. His weight is way, way down. He's gone from about 11.5 pounds to about 7.5. Um, but we are just keep on trying to keep him going as long as he wants to, and he still wants to walk and play and run up downstairs and wag his tail and stuff. As long as he's still doing that, we're, we're with him. So anyway, I ask for everybody's prayers for Pyro, if you don't mind. Okay. Um, you know, I lost my dad uh, last year. Uh, and I, I hated that because he was such a role model for me in so many ways. What I picture God like with my father. But, you know, he was 83 years old, or excuse me, 85, 85. Um, he knew the Lord, and I had absolute certainty of where he is and where I'm going to be with him. And that his body just started falling apart, and he wasn't going to be able to enjoy things. So I've been able to deal with that better than I have been with Pyro. And it has been really, really difficult for me because he never leaves my side for the last 16 years. Wow. Uh, and I'm, I've basically been a shut-in. Uh, I've been a shut-in here at home because we can't leave him very long. And right now, we can't leave him at all. And so when Mrs. Future is at work, I basically get out Wednesday night for church and Sunday. So I'm here. It, it, it's good in the sense that it focuses for me to write. And I usually write until about 2.30 or 3 on my books. But um, just say a prayer for him. And what what I was getting at was that uh, I am wiped out on my feet. So if I'm incoherent, please everybody forgive me. And when you called, I just I tried to warn you ahead of time that I was pretty wiped out and couldn't think. But having given that long disclaimer about Trump, um, I wanted to ask you: Do you read my blog, the Two Spies Report, occasionally? I do occasionally. I, I will admit, ha- having not been there in several months, though. Okay. Well, I haven't I haven't uh, blogged their case because I've been so focused on my writing. Because there's certain people, and I'm not going to name names, but there's been certain podcast hosts that have just totally beat me about the head and shoulders for not having stuff done, and they don't realize <laughs> the full scope of what I'm doing or what it has grown into a, a a juggernaut that it's become, because it's gotten to be really existential. I think in what I'm addressing. And uh, so I'm burning the midnight oil. It's just that it has grown enormously in scope, and I don't apologize one iota uh, for it. Uh, everything I'm putting down there is something I think needs to be documented and said. And I'm having some other Futurians, some of our former listeners, that I think are really, really sharp to read it and to let me know if they think it has value. And they have told me, and these guys are really on the ball. They're the kind that listen to your show, those types. And they said it's paradigm shifting, that they have changed their worldview after reading it. So I don't know if that will happen for everybody, but, but again, I, I think it's a worthy cause for me having been underground for a very lengthy period of time. But back to Donald Trump. I said a lot more than I can say thinking off the cuff here tonight. But, but I will say one thing that I will agree with our religious right leaders. I do believe God has a purpose and a use for Donald Trump. 
where I may part company is what I think he's using him for. And my personal belief is that the first and primary purpose of Donald Trump is to reveal to anybody, even the most thick-headed people, about the absolute spiritual bankruptcy of the religious right. <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah, I- and I'm completely, I'm completely convinced of that. It wasn't that I wasn't aware of that before, but I realized to me that it has helped me to be able to show the – I call it a Faustian bargain – that the religious right and the people of faith. You, do you realize, when you think about it, in the last election, more evangelicals, a higher percentage of evangelicals voted for Donald Trump than the percentages of dentists who recommend Trident for their patients who chew gum. <laughs> Did not realize that. No. Yeah. You remember four out of five dentists uh, recommend Trident for their patients who chew gum. And 81% of evangelicals voted for Donald Trump. If that is not a direct correlation, uh, we basically – America is the church of Trump. And uh, I believe that he has – God has used them to absolutely make a mockery in a similar way that uh, Absalom made a mockery of David after his fall by having sex with his wives on, you know, on the roof of the palace. And I believe he is being Trump in a similar fashion. You know, they compare him to David, but I think Absalom may be a better choice. I've also, in my blog, uh, compared him to Bar Kokhba, the uh, false messiah. When when the uh, Pharisees uh, rejected uh, uh, Jesus Christ, you know, and they right. picked Jesus Barabbas the Zealot, mm-hmm. and and his and his descendant after that was Bar Kokhba, which had all of the hallmarks just like Trump. He was going to make Israel great again. He believed in the strong military. He didn't mind torturing people to get what he wanted. He was an impressive guy, had a lot of wealth, and uh, he, he was going to make everything great. And you saw not only did he destroy himself and his followers, but it totally obliterated the religious movement that endorsed him and then anointed him Messiah. And so I guess you could say, yeah, Trump does have a biblical parallel uh, in my view. Um it really exposes what what is the priority of the religious right. When you hear a guy, and, and I don't blame Donald Trump. Um, if I could use the word ass on your show, uh, from <laughs> sure. one Christian to another, uh, he has, uh, in fact, you know, even um, St. Francis of Assisi described himself as an ass, or at least he described his flesh as an ass. So if he can say it, I can. There you go. Um, but uh, I think Donald Trump, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm using actually a beneficial word to him, an ass, he has been his whole life, and he continues to be that in in the office. And so, one thing you can't blame Donald Trump for is misleading people in that respect. Uh, any more than a P.T. Barnum misleads the people who hear he's got an 18 foot tall man behind the curtain, and then they see some kind of wooden statue that's made out of it. Well, you know, I guess you could say he misled them, but you know, he knows a sucker is born every minute, and uh, he he has done just what he's always been. These people act like there is no prehistory to Donald Trump of, as far as his his um, blatant immorality. And I don't just mean immorality by his repeated serial unfaithfulness to his wife. He's unfaithful to everybody around him. I, anybody who has been, been with him thinking they can ride his coattails have all been burned. Talk to his investors of any of his uh, uh, casinos that went belly up. 
You know, he got out ahead and he brags about it. He brags about that they were left holding the bag. And unfortunately, all of America bought a Trump casino or at, le- or at least a 50 what 49 percent of the shareholders did. But but they were able to get the uh, the uh, decision made. And now everybody's going to be hold- holding the bag and it. They're North Korea and South Korea may be a burnt crisp, uh, which I really think he's really setting us up for. And uh, if this Mueller thing looks like it's, he's getting ready to announce things before the election, I wouldn't go around the Korean Peninsula if I was anybody. And I think this whole uh, military parade he's announced at this totally insane boneheaded move that everybody, even his closest friends, are saying are ridiculous. and They're trying to help him save face by doing it. Um, there's a reason for that. We're getting ready to have our great patriotic war because that l- makes somebody who looks like they're on the way out look very, very good. Just and to, to play devil's that, advocate. Yeah. To play devil's advocate, especially on that last thing you said, the, the parade, is, there's much have been made about the parade, and I think the fact that he wants to do it on a non-patriotic holiday. Now, let's be clear. I'm just playing devil's advocate to kind of th- get your thoughts on this. You know I'm about as patriotic and into patriotism <laughs> as the religion that it is, as, uh, you know, not at all. I'm not into it at all. Are you talking about a marrow-olatry? Yeah, exactly. I'm not into it. Uh, You know, I think the uh, we share a similar disgust to uh, patriotism and uh, the American Christian right and where it's taken it. However, that parade that you're talking about, not completely foreign idea. Uh, They've done the parade several times in the last, gosh, 50 years. It uh, just usually takes place on the 4th of July in Washington, D.C. The difference is he wants to do it on a different day that's not the you know canonized Patriot Day. And, and they want to run all of the uh, military weapons through and all the other May Day. Uh, I don't remember seeing as much of that on those events. Where, where we, you know how May Day, how they always run the, the, the missile launchers and everything right. else past the podium? Um, we, we're not talking about like 4th of July where you have some uh, – you know, um, old, you know, VFW guys marching through, you know, old guys and, you know, people who've been injured in combat saluting. We get a chance to tell them thanks. That's that's not what that was about. What he wanted was a parade of military strength because that's what he thinks America's strength is. It, it, he's got new toys he can play with. He used to have toys that he could buy because of his wealth. And he could buy and play and look at Mar-a-Lago. If you've ever read any of the people who have tagged along with him, try, it, this is way before he ran for office, but just trying to see how he ticked. Basically, this guy is obsessed with trying to receive praise. If you go through Mar-a-Lago and these other places, he'll say, isn't this the greatest? Isn't it? Doesn't everybody say this is the greatest right here? Isn't that the greatest toilet paper that we have in here? You're never going to see nicer fixtures in this. And There's never been a guy more needy for affirmation. Than, than this guy. I mean, it, it's it's uh, he's so child childish in the way that he does this that to give him the keys to the nuclear football, um, you know, I had to just put it in the Lord's hands. What really worries me, he's going to be gone, you know, some period of time. I don't know if the hearings will take him down or just the voting box or whatever, or you know, could be two terms. Who knows? But he'll be gone. But the people who think the way he runs things is a really good idea. They're still here, and most of them say, "We are, we are what Jesus is all about. We are the guys who think that it's no big deal. We'll cover for him when he's messing around with uh, prostitutes, when he's got a pregnant wife at home, and 
Of course, he, he, you know, probably cheated with her on his prior wife. But when he does this stuff repeatedly, they'll make excuse after excuse after excuse. And then they'll turn around and point their bony finger at everybody else and tell them how immoral they are. And they're going to be the moral police for the rest of the country. But they're a guy that gives him some facade of power to the rest of these guys. They'll give that kind of guy a pass and make all sorts of excuses and never even stop to think about what that does to their moral authority. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't build a better segue for this article from the Atlantic that just came out uh, this last week. It is extremely long, but let me just at least start it. We'll read it here on the show, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on some of this. And it, like I said, we don't have to read the whole thing. But this is from to kind of further your point uh, from a secular point of view. Uh, this is called the Last Temptation from the Atlantic. <clears throat> One of the extraordinary things about current politics, really, one of the most extraordinary developments of recent political history, is the loyal adherence of religious conservatives to Donald Trump. The president won four-fifths of the vote of white evangelical Christians. This has a higher level of support than either Ronald Reagan or George W. Bush, an outspoken evangelical himself, ever received. Trump's background and beliefs could hardly be more incompatible with traditional Christian models of life and leadership. Trump's past political stances, he once supported the right to partial birth abortion, his character, he bragged about sexually assaulting women, and even his language, he introduced the words pussy and asshole into the presidential discourse, would more naturally lead religious conservatives toward exorcism than alliance. This is a man who has cruelly uh, publicized his infidelities, made disturbing sexual comments about his elder daughter, and boasted about the size of his penis on the debate stage. His lawyer mm-hmm. reportedly arranged a $130,000 payment to a porn star to dissuade her from disclosing an alleged affair. Yet religious conservatives who once blanched at PG-13 public standards now yawn at such NC-17 maneuvers. We are a long way from the Book of Virtues. Trump supporters tend to dismiss moral scruples about his behavior as squeamishness over the president's style. But the problem is distinctly non-Christian substance of his values. Trump's unapologetic materialism, his equation of financial and social success with human achievement and worth, is a negation of Christian teaching. His tribalism and hatred for the other stand in direct opposition to Jesus' radical ethic of neighborly love. Trump's strength, worship, and contempt for losers smacks more of Nitschke than of Christ. Blessed are the proud, blessed are the ruthless, blessed are the shameless, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after fame. And yet, a credible case can be made that evangelical votes were a decisive factor in Trump's improbable victory. Trump himself certainly acts as if he believes they were. Many causes and groups that Trump pledged to champion have been swiftly sidelined or sacrificed during Trump's presidency. The administration's outreach to white evangelicals, however, has been utterly consistent. Trump's allied religious, or excuse me, allied religious leaders have found an open door at the White House. What Richard Land, the president of the Southern Evangelical Seminary, calls unprecedented access. In return, they have rallied behind the administration in its times of need. Clearly, this Russian story is nonsense, explains the megachurch pastor Paula White Kane, who is not generally known as a legal or cybersecurity expert. Pastor David Jeremiah has compared Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump to Joseph and Mary. It's just like God to use a young Jewish couple to help Christians. According to Jerry Falwell Jr., evangelicals have found their dream president. 
which says something about the current quality of evangelical dreams. Loyalty to Trump has involved progressively more difficult, uh, more difficult and self-abasing demands. <clears throat> and there appears to be no limit to what some kind of evangelical leaders will endure. Figures such as Falwell, Franklin, and Graham followed Trump's lead in supporting Judge Roy Moore in the December Senate election in Alabama. These are religious leaders who have spent their entire adult lives bemoaning cultural and moral decay, yet they publicly backed a candidate who was repeatedly accused of sexual misconduct, including with a 14-year-old girl. In January, following the reports that Trump had referred to Haiti and African nations as S-hole countries, uh, Pastor Robert Jeffries came quickly to his defense. Apart from the vocabulary attributed to him, Jeffries wrote, uh, President Trump is right on his target in his, sen in his sentiment. After reports emerged that Trump's lawyer paid hush money to porn star Stormy Daniels to cover up their alleged sexual encounter, Graham vouched for Trump's concern for Christian values. Tony Perkins, the president and family of the uh, Family Research Council, argued that Trump should be given a mulligan for his past infidelity. One can only imagine the explosion of outrage if President Obama, uh, Barack Obama had been credibly accused of similar offenses. The moral convictions of many evangelical leaders have become a function of their partisan identification. This is not merely gullibility, it is utter corruption. Blinded by political tribalism and hatred for their political opponents, these leaders can, can't see how they're undermining the causes to which they had dedicated their lives. Little remains of a distinctly Christian public witness. As the prominent, uh, prominent evangelical pastor Tim Keller, who is not a Trump loyalist, thank goodness, recently wrote in the New Yorker, evangelical used to denote people who claim the moral high ground. Now in popular usage, the word is nearly synonymous with hypocrite. So it is little wonder that the last year, the Princeton Evangelical Fellowship, an 87-year-old ministry, dropped the E word from its name, becoming the Princeton Christian Fellowship. Too many students had identified the term with conservative political ideology. Indeed, a number of serious evangelicals are distancing themselves from the word for similar reasons. I find this desire understandable but not compelling. Some words like strategic castles are worth the... Uh, some words like strategic castles are worth defending, and evangelical is among them. While the term is notoriously difficult to define, it certainly encompasses a born-again religious experience, a commitment to the authority of the Bible, and an emphasis on the redemption power of Jesus Christ. I was raised in an evangelical home, went to an evangelical church and high school, and, beginning follow, and began following Christ as a teen. After attending Georgetown University for a year, I transferred to Wheaton in Illinois, sometimes called the Harvard of Evangelical Protestantism, where I studied theology. I worked as an evangelical nonprofit, prison fellowship, before becoming a staffer for Senate, Senator Dan Coates of Indiana, who is a fellow Wheaton alum. On Capitol Hill, I found many evangelical partners in trying to define compassionate conservatism. As a policy advisor and the chief speechwriter to President George W. Bush, I saw how evangelical leaders such as Rick and Kay Warren could be principal, tireless advocates in the global fight against AIDS. Those experiences made me hesitate to abandon the word evangelical. They also made seeing the defilement of the word all the more painful. The corruption of political party is regrettable. The corruption of a religious tradition by politics is tragic, shaming those who participate in it. Um, I said, like I said, this is long. It just keeps going and going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
I, I guess now who's the author of that? The author of that, uh, you know, it was uh, Michael Gerson. Okay. Okay. You know, the only uh, main complaint I have with it is it's far too understated. <laughs> well, and this is and, for. And, so and actually, just, I see, I don't mean in the sense of irony. I mean, in truth, it is. Uh, he, he's actually talking with one hand tied behind his back because there, there's so many, there's a million more. I, you know, he could make that article long enough to because you'd have you'd have a few pages for every day well uh, that we've had in in fairness so just kind of where i got this from i didn't get this from a conservative christian website i didn't obviously obviously but i didn't get this from a uh, a, a, even a christian website this came through on i don't know if you know you've ever heard of instapaper or anything like that but generally it's a very left-leaning uh people people that use the app tend to read a lot of stories that are very left-leaning and this was the most popular story the previous week. And well, usually uh, it's the, the writing the, of an the, evangelical Christian. Yes. The writing of an ev- basically bearing their soul and being honest. Which is usually a, you know, just so we are, we're, we're totally clear here, usually it's a, you know, uh, Elon Musk is going to save the world. Uh, global mm-hmm. warming is going to kill us all. Um, you know, guns should be banned in all in all in states in the union. That's usually the most popular Instapaper you know email once a week that I get. But to this week, this is what came through, and I saw this article, and then I my my coworker Andrew, co-host, he bailed. He had to work late, and I just thought, you know, at a time like this, all jokes aside, you're the only person I called, <laughs> and I just yeah. wanted to hear from you, and uh, oh. that's why we're here. Well, I think I would boil it down to this. I I believe that the religious right and Donald Trump have made a Faustian bargain. And the only thing I can't figure out is which one of them is Faust and which one of them is the devil. Wow. Uh, You know, when I, when I, in my book, uh, history, uh, Christians and their uh, holy wars, that's, it's it's currently a 932-page volume, and I'm probably going to add some more material to it and split it in two. But uh, one of the chapters I talk about is what happened in the Dreyfus Affair at the dawn of the 20th century in France when you had the Jewish officer who was railroaded uh, by mostly Catholic uh, officers and the Christian Catholics in the, in the uh, military that they basically planted some documents on him, and that's how we know about Devil's Island. It was because he was uh, court-martialed where they, you know, they cut the buttons off the uniform and, you know, off the shoulders and stuff, break their sword, sent him to Devil's Island. And the it became common knowledge that he had been set up by rivals and people envious of him in the military, and the church was aware of it. The church was aware, but the church was so closely aligned with the military and with the status quo that they thought it better to be quiet because, hey, it is a Jew, and they never really liked the Jews anyway. Send the Jew out there, but it kept cohesion of the military, and they and the church thought if they could keep those strong-armed institutions uh, unsullied in their reputation, then that would keep their secure position in society. And so there was a moral void in their society because of that, because of their collusion uh, with the government in that regard. And what happened was in that moral void came the liberals and the secularists that recognized a great evil was done. 
and that's where you see Emil Zola and these other gentlemen, you know, write jacques and things like that, and tirelessly fought for this innocent man. You know, the the Christians took the pose that the Sanhedrin did with Jesus when they said, "Better that one man die uh, rather than the whole country suffer." You know, because of Rome, and that was the position the church took, like they have often taken. And so they they had their regular alignment, just like in the United States, with the military and with the power structures and the establishment. And so the moral force was picked up by the secularists and the liberals, and they fought. They were attacked. Some of them got banished. They had to run for their life where they went to jail for just defending him and saying that here's data that you need to have. And it took I don't know how many years while this guy languished at Devil's Island before they were able to finally get and, – and several of these you know liberal literary people went to jail themselves for raising the point and slander because they questioned the military and finally they got him released and he was willing even to go back into the military and serve the ones that had railroaded him but France was never the same after that once the public recognized that they had actually been deceived and let down by the church the church lost their privileged status it there originally they had they were like the official state church they had money they got they got from the state you know other religious christian groups didn't get it the catholic church did they got big deep pockets they had uh all decision making on the things that they did well after that they said never again and they passed laws uh separating church and state there because they realized it was a toxic environment and so they secularized it, and what happened was those leaders that had run that, they were called the anti-Dreyfusards, uh, those guys who uh, in the church who had fought hard, hard right, uh, them, the military leaders, they became the leaders and their offspring that they had in their movement of Vichy France, the, 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 you know, like the Quislings with the Nazis that ran Nazi-occupied France. So they ended up, you know, they're talking about the betrayal of this Jewish man, which is all fabricated. Well, they end up betraying their own people. And, you know, they finally got a chance to send a lot of those Jews to the concentration camps on real cars. Uh, they only got one of them before. And so I see the same environment happening. And I point this out in my book with what's happening in the Christian community today. Their obsession with power, maintaining position, any, any kind of strong uh, power structure uh, they they really do. They have, an, they have an affinity for power structures, whether it's the police, military, anybody who's got the baton uh, and can maintain the status quo. And that's really what conservatism is about. Conservatism is about conserving the status quo of who are the haves and who are the have-nots, whether it's economically, whether it's in who holds the reins of power, who defines the culture. That's what it's about. And it's taken me a long time. It's taken people like Put Peter Goodgame and a few others to finally, you know, over the years for me to have some self-realization. I had to get out of the military for a number of years, away from that incestuous culture, to be able to ruminate on it, think about what the Bible says, think about what Jesus' priorities are. But, uh, you know, that, that's sort of where things are falling now. And I think the Dreyfus Affair, when people read the book, they'll actually see there's so many historical precedents to what we're dealing with today and how easily we sell our – and I guess this is another biblical analogy I would use of what I've seen the Christian community do with Trump. They have basically sold their, their moral and spiritual birthright for a mess of Trump porridge, just like Esau. They had an instantaneous hunger. They were 
They were brutish people. They didn't value their birthright of moral authority in society and spiritual authority and priority. And they saw some instant power with a mess of Trump porridge, and they, they, that's all it took. That's how much it was worth for them to sell like it. Well, I mean, didn't, didn't Peter want to to, to make the kingdom then? When uh, when the Lord came back, when when Jesus was on earth, they wanted to build the kingdom then. I don't remember if it was Peter or well, whatnot. At, at the Transfiguration, they wanted to build uh, they wanted to build the uh, those temples, you know, for uh, Jesus yeah. and uh, Moses and Elijah up there. And you know what Jesus called him? He said, "Get thee behind me, Satan." Yeah, but it was the same thing. Let's establish it with power. Let's establish it right now here on earth because we have the opportunity. Right. Um, you know, Andrew, my my co-host, he once uh, said it's something that kind of stuck out to me. He's like, I can't believe that this whole group of people, you know, was all was you know fooled by uh, the guy who worked with the the guy who worked for Bush. Shoot, now I can't remember his name. All of a sudden, the strategy about Carl, Carl yes, Rose. Yes, yes. Andrew Hoffman once said, I can't believe the that architect. This, our whole. Christian culture and has been used as a voting base and it was all it wasn't brought forward by some great Christian idea we were all tricked they were all tricked by Karl Rove of all people to become this powerful voting block and ever since then they really have been and if you think pre- prior to this now I'm sure obviously it there's been shades of it but just it's really turned itself on, you know, post 9-11 since the early 2000s. You know, I don't remember a big Christian voting block. Obviously, Reagan was a big oh, deal. Yeah. I know I know it was, but it, it seems oh, yeah. like it's it's kind of gone into a bit of a overdrive here. Well, I, I get into a lot of a lot of the history of my writing, which, by the way, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, I'm up to 11 volumes right now uh, in my book series. And I have just passed 5000 pages in narrative. So I do have a few things to say in it. Uh, and in, in the history of it, uh, I got into the history of how the religious right was founded. Uh, as I go through the different holy wars, there's a whole two volumes on the history of Christian-based holy wars. The Jews have their own dirty laundry. We've heard a lot about the Muslim. But in the Christian ones, um, uh, when the religious right was founded in the 70s, we have had a revisionist history written for us that it was founded because of Roe v. Wade, and they realized the terrible horror of abortion, and they had to gather together to fight it, which, you know, I think that's a worthy battle. I, I believe in, in protecting the most vulnerable, whether that is a, a Muslim or an immigrant or a, a minority by skin color uh, or religion. And there's nobody more innocent and more vulnerable than a than a baby child. So if I'm going to be consistent, and I and I think those are good liberal values, and I mean liberal in the Christian sense, uh, in the way that God gives liberally to all people. Uh, but uh, having said that, that was always what we've been sold. And when I was raised in church, good old Baptist church, uh, raised to understand, is I started digging back and finding the original writings and original quotations from those original members of the religious roundtable that brought in Jerry Falwell and, and Tim LaHaye and, and these other guys, uh, guy at uh, Regent University, CBN, Pat Roberts and others. What I found out from them was that Roe v. Wade was never an issue at all. 
That's never what got the religious right going. What got them going was back in the mid-'70s, President Carter passed a law that if you were a um, religious or a nonprofit institution that was getting government money, that means taxpayer money from everybody to make for your operation, and you discriminated by skin color, that you weren't entitled for government money. Which makes complete sense. Not only is that blatantly immoral, but uh, you're taking money from black taxpayers, for example, to discriminate against black people. Well, what 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 right is there, you know, for any of that? Um, and so, when that was passed, Bob Jones University was was still blatantly uh, white separatist. You know, no black people were allowed to go to that Christian school, and it's one of the most prominent fundamentalist Christian schools in America. But black people still weren't allowed to go, I mean, way up through the 70s and beyond. And so what they did was rather than allow a black person set foot and be ministered to on their campus, they turned away the government money uh, that they used to help educate and to, you know help with their resources and better facilities. They thought that was better than letting a black person set on foot. The other religious right leaders agreed with them. And in fact, a lot of people don't know that uh, Jerry Falwell's original school were for white students only. You know, the whole Liberty family was started on whites only. In fact, I quote from his sermons where he talked about black people were under the curse of Ham, and so the, they were meant to be the servants. He of white said, people. He said that. No, that was yeah, that's a common that's a, that's a commonly known thing among uh, some Mormon I, sects. Well, no, Jerry Falwell preached it. And in fact, to say any of this, I had to go dig and get original sermons. I also found the the fundamentalist Baptist pastor who was from Dayton, Ohio, where I used to live, where he got it almost verbatim, and from a, a Baptist temple, what they call them, fundamentalists, where where he got it verbatim. And this 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 was their clear position. And and like Paul Vagary, who is one of the the guys who coalesced all these people in the religious roundtable, he admits in his own writing. It was the fear of integrating their schools is what led to the foundation of the religious right. And that's what caused it. Now, when you go back to Roe v. Wade, these guys were totally unconcerned about it. In fact, uh, I had seen that like W.A. Criswell, one of the most popular theologians in America, also a prominent Baptist leader, he, he wrote back then in the early 70s that he didn't even think a child was a human being until a long period of time outside the womb. Therefore, didn't have any rights to life, and I just found the other day the original. I think uh, it was in the early 70s. The original finding by the Southern Baptist Convention that they voted on at their con- national convention that basically said that all sorts of kinds of abortion were just fine, and they and they thought that was fine, and basically, you know, generally agreeing with Roe v. Wade. Now, I'm not saying that to promote abortion. That's not the point I'm making. What the point I'm making is that these people are frauds. Now, what is not a fraud is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is is the real deal. The apostles are the real deal. Uh, thank goodness a lot of our smaller churches, although you have to sift through them, you can find people who are the real deal, real honest, God-fearing, golden rule kind of people who care about immigrants who care about the poor, who care about the people, who didn't have all the breaks that you and I had. Uh, There are are lots of people like that, but they're not going to get the attention. They're not going to get the media position. They they don't have money being funneled to them. 
to raise their prominence and position. And so this is going to be a painful time because all of our testimonies are going to get drugged through the mud when people have had enough of these people. But if we can put up with it, hopefully we can rebuild. And some of these liberal Christians, the, the liberal Christians were not only the ones who maintained some kind of spiritual high ground in France, but when you go back to the, to the slavery debate in America in the 1860s, the Baptist and all the other people from my background that were real Bible literalists, they made a compelling case, and I quote it. You know, there was a main document from the head of the uh, South Carolina Southern Baptist Convention to the governor of South Carolina. when he, They asked him, is, is slavery correct? And they said, well, clearly from Scripture, and they made a very clear case that God was fine with slavery. That God, even in the New Testament, had no problem with slavery at all, and it was fine. And the people who said there's something wrong were the ones we would consider liberal Christians, people from the more liberal denominations, because they knew that there is even as much as I love the Bible, and the Bible is a is a uh, reliable and authentic uh, statement of our faith and our belief, and trustworthy and reliable, they recognize that through the Holy Spirit, God also talks to us in other ways. And there is, even in the Bible, there is a confession that another form of uh, communication that God has to his believers is through conscience. Paul. And conscience has regularly mentioned that uh, conscience is how God, through the Holy Spirit, speaks to us. And I believe on issues like slavery, in time the Holy Spirit was able to show Christians like that you you do not need to tolerate this anymore, you know this is it's just like uh, other things you know. And the Bible says in times past God allowed these things, but now it's time like 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 Paul said on Mars Hill. He said in times past he overlooked these things, but now it's time for you to repent. And 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 I think that's what the Holy Spirit told in in script you know through through uh, this you know revelation of people's conscience like. You know, well, okay, you argue through the Bible that it doesn't expressly say slavery is wrong, but what does it really mean to follow Christ? Do you picture Jesus having slaves? Do you picture <laughs> slaves in the New Jerusalem? Do you think that's where there's going to be? We're just going to keep. And if it's not, then why the heck do we have them? You know, if that's the kingdom we're supposed to be pointing toward and aiming, you know, now I didn't quote a single scripture for what I just said. But your, your testimony, the Holy Spirit knows that that's right. It, you, you have to cauterize your, your conscience not to, not to have the Spirit tell you that that's right. And so that was a crisis of the church. And so we better be careful when we say, well, those liberal Christians over there, they don't take a literal view of this passage or that passage or whatever. What we better be looking at is the Spirit behind things. You can have all of the right beliefs, and I'll use Calvinists as an example since I haven't yet offended them yet. I've offended everybody else. But, you know, you can have people that can be like great Christian Pharisees, you know, and be good lawyers with the Bible, and they can argue the law, but they never understood what the spirit of the law, and that includes even God's law through the church, like the golden rule, 
uh, do unto others as you'd have them to do unto you. You know, they can they can look with a fine tooth comb all of these things, and they miss the whole point about what it was meant to be a Christian. Yeah, and we if have, we don't see that in Christ, in the way Christ dealt with the Pharisees, and we miss the whole point of why he came. Speaking of Mars Hill, we have a famous church up here named Mars Hill where that whole church right. basically fell apart doing exactly what you're saying. Fine tooth comb through the rules and miss the whole point. Right, right. That's the point. And, you know, um, I'm sure we're all going to find out that there were a few of these passages, you know, we didn't get it just right. Every one of us is going to be that way on the other side. But I tell you what will matter is how much we loved other people. We express mercy toward them. We express forbearance toward them and even tolerance. Tolerance is a four-letter word in Christian circles. But I hate to tell you, Jesus, uh, God says he's tolerant. And I believe if he's not tolerant of you and me, then we're all sunk. Because believe me, we're not hitting the bullseye every day. He was a he was a homeless man who hung out with hookers and drunks. Yeah, I mean, and you know, you know what he <laughs> he got didn't have for any it? slaves. <laughs> yeah, you know what he got for it? He followed Jesus, and so what happens? He, he was he was uh, renditioned in the middle of the night. All his great Christian followers left him. He was renditioned. He was taken off by special forces that flew him away, and then they they got him under these figures. He he was uh, he was just like Guantanamo. He had no trial. He had no uh, legal representation. He had no way to counter the claims made against him. And then they put him under you know their form of waterboarding at the time with the cat of nine tails. So you know. All these these wonderful Christian 81% who love Trump, if I could give them just an oldie but a goodie real quick, um, this is something I, I have a post about. Uh, I, I did it like a day or two after Trump was elected, and I said, has, has America just elected Negan, you know, the, the leader on The Walking Dead, you know, that uh, is sort of the main antagonist on the show? I'm not familiar and, with that. Uh, uh, well, you need to be. Some of it's them. A, it's an excellent I, show. I know some people out there are. Yeah, it's a lot of food. for. It's the number one all-time uh, viewed show in uh, TV history. And uh, uh, th- there's a lot of good moral things to be thinking about. On It's not just zombies munching things. Uh, it, it distills down to the basics of life in it. And uh, I, I just wrote on here that uh, Trump has clearly gone on the record. This is just during his campaign. I'm not talking about when he's elected, has gone on the record and said he not only wants to bring the torture protocols back for detainees, but also to make them even worse. When a suspect was captured from the recent Paris terror attacks, Trump said on his Twitter that he would rather have talked, he would have rather talked a lot faster with the torture. Trump has been far more explicit. He said in a New Hampshire television interview that, quote, we're going to have to get much tougher as a country. We're going to have to be a lot sharper. We're going to have to do things that are unthinkable almost. And in the televised New Hampshire primary that I watched, he stated, quote, I would bring back waterboarding, and I'd bring back a hell of a lot worse than waterboarding. On February 17th, he publicly said, torture works. Okay, folks, you know. I have these guys. Torture doesn't work. Believe me, it works. And waterboarding is your minor form. Some people say it's not actually torture. Let's assume it is. But they've asked me the question, what do you think of waterboarding? Absolutely fine. But we should do much stronger than waterboarding. Now, on July 27th, he said, this is before they they chose him, the evangelical. He says, I'm a person that believes in enhanced interrogation. Yes, and by the way, it works. 
At a recent rally, he said regarding torture that you have to fight fire with fire and added, what do you think about waterboarding? The crowd, he asked the crowd. Well, the crowd cheered, of course. All the Christians out there cheered for waterboarding. He says, I like it a lot. I don't think it's enough. Well, I could go on and on. I think you get the point. Uh, he just fired his second FBI director in the course of a year. And now the person he's put in is the person who ran the torture protocols. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if this is what you want to be, Christians, you know, if this is what you want to say, uh, Jesus was about. Well, see, you know, it's been building up to this for way, 20, it's yeah. been building up to this for twenty twenty five years, thirty years. They've they've always wanted war. They're always talking about war, going to war with the Muslims, going to war with Iraq, going to war with Afghanistan, getting Osama bin Laden. They've been well, used for nothing, this. Nothing gives them any more than than prophecy talk. If you go to the prophecy boards and you hear that bombs are raining down on some villages of people down there. You won't read, oh, let's pray for those the innocent villagers that are down there, even if there are some terrorists. Let's just pray for the kids and the others. No, what you see are little emoticons or emojis of people eating popcorn. But that's what they put on the post because it's entertainment for them. There are people getting maimed, uh, getting families blown apart, and it's entertainment for them because you know they read the books, they see the charts, they see the stuff across the stage. And, you know, they're flying high and they're sitting in their bunker just watching it. And, you know, those people are all going to hell anyway, so we might as well just get seen them blown apart. And I wonder why they can't get more people to come to church that are unchurched people. Why is that not attractive to the unchurched people to want to be a part of that? Yeah. Yeah, I have a friend. Obviously, I served in the military, and I have a friend who's still in. And I shared this a few podcasts ago, but I didn't share it with you. Uh, He's uh, stationed in Djibouti. And uh, mm-hmm. talks about that Americans, both on the left and right, don't know how good they have it. Back here arguing over banning guns. He said there's a car bomb there every day. Every yeah. single day there's a car bomb that kills a bunch of people where he's stationed in Djibouti. And we just don't know how good we have it over here. Meanwhile, we're we're anxious to get out and do some more of that, right? Yeah. yeah. We, love the, we love that violence. That's why we like Duck Dynasty. You know, we're no, I, I don't know where you're going with that, but <laughs> but go ahead. Well, we just we just like you know people out doing something with guns, and and hopefully the younger people you get the better. That's why we need you know great big old banana clips on our guns. You know, <laughs> yeah, we sure. need that in case a, a you know in case a robber breaks into our house or you know to get a duck. You know, we need that. You know, I, I don't know if I ever shared this with you. I actually maybe didn't because we haven't been talking quite as much lately. But I ended up selling a car to a, a former operator, like a, a real deal. I was a Green Beret operator, worked for the CIA, yeah. worked for different. Not a big fan of war. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Like one of the baddest dudes you could meet who you would not want to be on the opposite side of, the, uh, of a divided yeah. line as him. Not really into yeah. it anymore. 20 years of it and kind of fed up. And just sick of it all. Sick of the hypocrisy. Sick of it. Not yeah, really a, yeah. a, a fan of war. The, well, the type you know, of I'm person glad that, to hear the, that. Well, these, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. You know, the American Christian right, this is the person that they would put up on a pedestal. And in some ways, you know, they, I guess they have already con- gone and done that. But he, Well, they n- like the ones that still like war. After they've take, they killed somebody with their bare hands and they can't get enough of it, those are the kind that they're going to invite back to their pulpits. Yeah. The fellow like that who realizes that war is hell and that it's painful and that 
you know, you've got teenagers over there that are getting pulled by their nations on both sides, poor people on both sides killing. When they realize that, they're of no interest to their religious right anymore. No. They're not going to invite them to go out there and say, well, you know, war's not as pretty as we make it out to be. Who they're going to get is Jerry Boykin, who's going to say, like he has actually said, that when Jesus comes back, he's going to have an AR-15. God. That's what he said on on, and he's oh, the no. second in command of the uh, Family Research Council. He is in the centerpiece of the leadership of the religious right. You know, he he said to God said to uh, you know get a sword. Uh, you know, even though there was two swords, and Jesus says, "Well, that will do," which you know you're not going to fight a, a Roman garrison with two swords. Obviously, defense was not the point. The point was they had the swords so Jesus could tell them to put them away. Because hmm. knuckleheads in the 20th century wouldn't realize that God wasn't around about war and fighting. And so he had to tell that story so they could hopefully get it, which they still miss. Peter's but, still my favorite knucklehead, cutting off people's ears right then. Yeah, you know, he meant well. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus is like, okay, as much as you hurt people, I'm going to have to go right behind you and heal them. Amen. So let's just, That's let's just stop this. That's true. But, but, but Jerry Boykin, he doesn't get it. He said, well, the Lord said get the two swords because we were meant to fight and be warriors and to, and to kill these people for the Lord. And he's got chirps, you know, churches lined up everywhere. I had a chance to uh, face-to-face confront him, and I was so upset. I about cried because I was just so devastated in the psyop that he had just done on the listeners in that church, including young people. And and I you know I told him and I had about ten seconds with him before everybody let out and you know surrounded him. I said, look, you you talk about all the love that you have for your men and the love, and I believe you really did have love for your men. Why can't you expand that love for for the other people on the other side, including Muslim people and other people like that? As a Christian, who who who's your main emphasis is your service for Christ? Why can't you expand your love for the kind of people that Jesus said he loved? He didn't have much to say about that. <laughs> Shocker. Uh, who famously uh, was the World Net Daily guy who you famously confronted on the on your show? And, yeah, uh, he, yeah. He asked he, why oh, you were still, so. He's still running it, Joe Farah. Yeah, he's asked, well, yeah. "What's your obsession with Guantanamo Bay detainees? They deserve to be well, there." He, yeah, he just said when I pointed out that you know even his own writers like. Uh, Judge uh, Napolitano and and even um, um, Colin Powell's chief of staff, who put together the whole uh, you know the debacle about the Iraq War that that he later said he had been misled by the CIA and almost com- committed suicide. Both of them went down to Guantanamo and they found out out of the seven hundred and something detainees, they were told by the people who held them that only about two dozen had even remotely had any connection to something that would be considered hostile to us. The rest of them just happened to be where they got the whole village, and they put them in, and they were going to be there indefinitely, probably the rest of their life. Uh, they didn't have any charges against them, but they didn't want to let them go so they could tell people what they'd been through. And when both those guys said on our show that, the same, and I mentioned it to Joe Farah, Joe Farah's response was a classic uh, religious right response. He says, well, even if that is true, well, first of all, he says, why, why do you think that you know that that most of those people are innocent. And I and I mentioned that those two people knew that they were there and been briefed at Guantanamo and told that. And he says, well, even if that's true, he said, even if there are a lot of innocent people at Guantanamo, he says, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. <laughs> Which could have made him a good member of the Sanhedrin. 
which may fit given basically you've got rabbi of the week that has the revelation to be able to teach the rest of the Christians what the Bible's really saying and what the future is. And I and I have to reflect back and you still hear a lot of that on alternative Christian radio, Rabbi X, Rabbi Y saying this. And I, I have to think back to what Jesus said about the rabbis, uh, and, and the people who follow me says, you know, you were blind guides leading the blind, and he says, both of you are going to fall into the ditch. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the direction we're going. And it, as someone who lives, you know, we talk about, you know, we both live up here in kind of liberal land, Andrew down there in Oregon, me up here in Seattle. Um, people are starting to kind of outright express hatred for God and for Christians. And it's, it's, it's not new, it's been percolating, but it's a little more visible, a little more public than usual. And it's becoming, well, it's becoming you, less taboo. Can you blame them? Can you blame them? Well, not after can an hour long conversation with you. I can't blame them. That's for can sure. Can you blame them? Okay. And, and this is what makes me upset. I'm not upset at them. Yeah. I would feel the same way they did if I was on the outside looking in. What I'm upset are the people who claim the name of Christ, who are ugly, who are hateful, who think that they're the best thing since sliced bread themselves, and they got everything together, and they look at everybody who's on the outside because they got a different skin color or a slightly different view of their understanding about religion or anything else, and they think not only do they hate them and express their hatred, but they want to use the power of government to do something against them. And, and, and they think that if they don't have the right to tell everybody else what to do, well, then they're being persecuted. Because somebody doesn't like them telling everybody else how they should live their lives. And so if I was those people, I'd feel the same way. And that breaks my heart because I'm a real evangelical. Yeah. I really believe we're supposed to share our faith and, and make be fishers of men and, and spread the Great Commission and give the good news. And I tell you, these religious right people are making the job extremely hard for yeah, the rest of us and near impossible. And in fact... I would say I'm starting to understand now the group of people that, to me, are the most tragic people in all the Bible. You know, most of the people who are judged at the great white throne sort of accept their judgment. They understand what it is, and they go trot off to the only place where selfish people can go that don't ruin the kingdom of heaven. And that's a place that they, if it's not hell, they'll turn it into it. But then there's a group of people in Scripture that, that say, well, didn't we do these great things in your mm. name, and didn't we cast out devils and do all these kind of things? And Jesus says, you know, I don't know who you are. Just because you said all that stuff, and you know, a, a literalist, a Bible literalist who would think they're really staying on the straight and narrow would say, well, it says if you confess Jesus as Lord, yeah. you'll be saved. That's the and scary, they, don't even know, they don't even know what confessing means. That's the they scariest don't, they, line in the Bible. Get away yeah, from me, I, I never knew you. Yeah, and those people were so self-deceived, they thought they were doing all the trappings on the outside, and they thought they had it covered. And and we all, you know, if you're a a self-observant person, you you shudder to think, could that be me? But but I, I can tell you, the people who I'm sort of suspecting are the people who are running most of our major Christian institutions in America whose testimony is so counter to the words and actions of Jesus, particularly toward other people, and, and, and give such a terrible 
picture of Jesus Christ to a to a seeking world that's dying, those people to me would be prime candidates for that passage. And I shudder to think, and I don't have any joy in it. I would just ask that they'd repent, just like I need to repent of my sins. You know, there's there's no joy or gloating in that. It is a tragedy. And you and I can't, or your listeners, can't sit on our hands and do like a lot of the prophecy gang does and just say, we're going to crawl in our bunker and let it blow over like a hurricane. We've been called to work. And what what does the Lord say? Work for the night is coming when no man can work. So are we are we going to just sit there and you know this there's another book I have planned and it's called innocent or excuse me it's called guilty bystanders. And you know it's enough to talk about all the terrible things that have been done in the name of Christ during the church age but it's equally bad to see about all the times we've had our hands in our pockets when people were suffering. We've heard enough about you know, the Christians who sat and sang their hymns when they heard the trains go by with the Jews going to the concentration camps. We A lot of Christians, and I'll I tell you, another great stalwart, good old Billy Graham. I'll mm. see if I can offend some more of your listeners here. You know, <laughs> Billy Graham, uh, they've recently declassified, I'll talk about this in my book series, they declassified uh, some letters in communications back and forth between him and Richard Nixon. And they were declassified by the Billy Graham Library and the Nixon Library. And, and basically what Nixon established in the Watergate cabinet was that Billy Graham was to be made a cabinet, virtual cabinet member. Those were the words he used for Ehrlichman and Haldeman and all these guys. That they would consider his communications with them would be as a fellow cabinet member. And one of the plans that uh, he put together and made it as a foreign policy decision during the Vietnam War was was Billy Graham put he thought this was the greatest thing in the world. He consulted experts and he put this and he wanted Nixon to to engage in it during the Vietnam War. What he proposed was that they they blow up the dams throughout North Vietnam to flood all the villagers and to kill all the villagers. And that would win the war for us. Now this was an action that the Japanese did in China and Oof. it was considered an international war crime, and they hunt, were hung for the gallows for doing that. That yeah, was considered a recognized war crime. They were brutal. J- Japan authorized China, or well, occupied China was brutal. No no worse than Billy Graham. I mean, at least you can say that to the Japanese. Well, you're not any worse than Billy Graham is. You know, Billy Graham was the guy when Martin Luther King was sitting in the uh, Birmingham jail for trying to step up for the downtrodden. Billy Graham sent him communication saying, you need to knock this off. He says, you're not accomplishing anything. You're not really doing anything, and you need to knock it off. That's a great role model. You know, he's a man, ninety dies at 99 years old, sitting on, at least from the reports I saw, at least $60 million in his own account. He was right there, right up there with the top two or three wealthiest, including like the uh, you know prosperity gospel guys of all. That doesn't count the property that was under the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Okay, $60 million he dies in hanging on to at 99 years old. Good old humble preacher. And his son, Franklin's a tip chip off the old block. You know, he was the great rebel that rebelled against God and everything and then decided, you know, there's gold in them there hills. And now good old Franklin Graham has Samaritan's Purse which, you know, feeds kids for less than a dollar a day. 
you give your money to Samaritan's Purse and Dollar Day, you feed them. Well, unfortunately, almost a million kids go hungry at that time because almost a million dollars comes off the top to go into uh, Franklin's bank account. Because, you know, those kids don't need it. And and they're scraping by in the in the Graham family. So the first sixty, uh, first uh, I think it's eight hundred eighty thousand or something go in his pocket. That that doesn't count the similar check he gets from the Billy Graham Association, both for quote working full time. These are our role models. These are the guys that we say are just the unimpeachable people we should be looking up to. And I'll tell you what, warts and all, I'll look up to a. You know, Tim Kilkenny anytime over these kind of guys. <laughs> don't, okay? look, don't look up to me. <laughs> well, believe me, you look like St. Francis compared to these guys. You know, I'd even almost say Andrew Hoffman. <laughs> it's sort of a, it's sort of a, you know, a toss up, you know. <laughs> I know he's got some severe dirty laundry too, but I know Tim Kilkenny, I'll, I'll put up there. So, you know, no thank you. You know, Billy preached a simple gospel, uh, and, uh, you know, that part I don't have heartburn with, but, you know, I'll, some of his uh, uh, crusades yeah, over I mean, Southeast got- Asia, it appears they have been funded by the CIA from the data I came across or actually CIA. And he was actually using that time over there, not focused on winning the loss, but actually gathering intelligence data for our for our presidents. Um, not quite what I what I think our Lord said. He said something about serving two masters. And uh, you're going to love one and hate the other. I mean, I got to, I got to, I got to say it just because it came up in my own head. So it's got to come up in everybody else's head, listeners, as you know, to the show. I'm sure he's led many people to the Lord, as well, flawed the, as he is. Uh, the Lord has led many people to the Lord. <laughs> the Holy Spirit has led many people to the Lord, and in fact, probably some of those Christians down at the bottom of the altar. You know, when they come down there and talk to some of those people that, you know, helped the mm-hmm. Lord mm-hmm. in the process. If you look at the percentage of people who stay, I don't know if you ever looked at that data for Billy Graham Crusades, something like 90-something percent of them are people who are already saved. They just come down there. Now, as far as them being discipled of that tiny sliver that really are like, I was not saved when I came here and now I am, uh, some sliver of those actually you know, get hooked up with a church, you know, and, and stay behind the plow. Now, I'm not saying one person is worth it, okay? Anytime you preach the gospel, it's a good thing. I'm not complaining about the gospel message or any of that kind of thing. I'm talking about lionizing somebody. And, and, and I'll, I'll say this. I'll go even further. I think Billy Graham is probably the most responsible person of anybody for creating the generation gap that led for the youth generation of the 60s to veer off away from active involvement in church and in what we consider the organized church involvement and departing from their predecessors. And one of the main one of the main reasons why was the young people knew that the Vietnam War was wrong. They knew it was immoral. They knew that they were being lied to, and they were proven right. Later on, when the Pentagon Papers were released, turned out they'd been lying to all of the American public through the entire lo- – you know, it started with the, uh, with the fake Tonkin. Attack. The Gulf of Tonkin. That thing. was yep. fake. Yep. We now have proof it right. was fake. And, and then we had the resolution, and then the lying continued until we pulled out. 
those young people knew something was wrong. I mean, they had their own hangups, you know, like get a job, you know, that's a good idea too. But they, they knew that. But Billy Graham had an opportunity. You know, do you realize his influence was so strong that if he would have gone down there with those protesting kids and marched with them and said that the war is wrong, that that would have been the end of the Vietnam War. You know, you remember what LBJ said when uh, Walter Cronkite started being critical of the Vietnam War. He said, well, you know, if we lose Walter Cronkite, we've lost America. And it was shortly after that that he decided not to run for president. Um, if Billy Graham had gone down with those young people and said, you, you are right, that, uh, you know, this, this, is, this is not something that, that really, you know, if, if he had an ample amount of the Holy Spirit to have understood something was wrong, like many other Christians who were unheralded did, they knew it at that time. There was a lot of Christians that spoke up. One of them was uh, Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King was, was, oh, he was treated wonderfully when he was a civil rights leader. I mean, other than the hoses and the dogs, that wasn't very pleasant. When they got on the other side of that, he was accepted as a member of the mainstream, you know, and we're, we're thinking he's great. But when he started talking about the Vietnam War and about it was being fought by the poor and it wasn't for the interest of the poor, even the liberals turned on him. Everybody turned against uh, him. But but Billy Graham, if he had gone down there and marched with those young people, maybe 50,000 lives would have been saved in Vietnam. And you would have had those church people that probably would have been giants working in the church to advance the kingdom in America and around the world. But, but that began a rift, and I, I consider that Billy Graham's legacy. Wow, that's brutal. <laughs> you know who did also stand up and knew it was was uh, a, a farce was uh, the, you know Muhammad Ali. You yeah, know, one of one of these dirty Muslims. You know, one of these you well, know, well, inferior other, inferior well, religions. Oh, with all the other hangups he had, even he could see it. Even he. What's that say about What's that say about us? He had a lot of hangups, yeah, and even he saw it. That's a good way to put it. And and they and they punished him prime years in prison for not going. Well. He had something that our religious right leaders don't have, yeah, and that is a backbone. That's right, and and a willingness yes. to suffer for yes. belief, a willingness and that's to what, suffer. You know, it's not just saying let's send people over there. Right. Yeah, that's because that's what the that's what the religious right likes to do. Let's send people over there. They don't see the aftermath of people coming back with PTSD. They don't send their children. They want other they, people to go. You mean you mean like the imams send the uh, the. Um, Bombers, like the belt bombers, the kids to go do that. People always say, why don't they go themselves? Well, ask your own Christian leaders why they don't do the same thing. Why do they send somebody else's kids? They didn't even like the 18-year-olds to have the right to vote. They fought that. The religious, you know? the religious right also came up with the idea of the, uh, the, the draft dodger, you know, the, yeah. those who didn't want to go. Right. Right, you're fighting the establishment. Yeah, my father, yeah. my father-in-law is is quite an intellectual, and uh, he told me he says, you know, I luckily I didn't get drafted, but I was I was on my way to Canada, and I remember at a time in my life I would think, man, that's the wrong move. You're not cool, but now I'm like, hey, yeah. I'm with you. That's that seemed like the right move. Well, um, the you question know, is, was was it moral? Right. You know, was 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 that a moral thing to do? Well, you know who this left in a position of being in the moral right. Of all people, Bill and Hillary Clinton. 
famous famously at the uh, Chicago riots, they were protesting the Vietnam yeah. War. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? You I have broadened my definition of immorality. Um and I think it's more biblical. Uh, when you ask the average religious right evangelical person, when immorality is synonymous with fornication. Well, somebody's immoral, well, they, you know, they Sleeps did something around. naughty behind the curtains. Sleeps you know? around, yeah. But I can tell you that, and, and believe me, I believe we should be chaste and pure, and, and I think those are all very, very important things. But when you do something else to harm somebody, you know, when you're doing something harmful to somebody non-consenting like that, you go from something bad to something even worse, I believe. And I'm not saying that as an endorsement of fornication by any stretch. Hear me right. What I'm saying is is that we like to focus on that kind of stuff because it has a giggle factor in our purian interest. We like to hear all the juicy details and somebody slipped up. But we don't care about the immoral of all these Christians supporting torture. Torture's fine. They don't. Oh, they make all sorts of excuses why that's okay, you know. Or, or uh, their treatment of any kind of vulnerable people, whether it's people who get shot by cops, and and you know guys having their hands Eesh. up getting shot. Oh, yeah. they first go to the yeah. they, they instantly go to the defense of the establishment. Oh. You know, it's it's like it's like George Orwell said. We cover those stories asked, on this show too. Yeah, when George Orwell said. What 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 do you visualize the future? And he said, he said, picture a boot stepping on a face, forever. <laughs> that was George Orwell's vision of the future. And 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 I think, and I first of all, I think in some ways I get where he's coming from. I think Jesus may be meant for us to try to help the face. Hmm. But what we've done in America is we're just helping push down on the boot. sobering thought you know you bring up a really great point i mean many but you look back at the story of jesus and how many different times is he infringing on other people's civil rights yeah i mean at all or forcing them to do something forcing them to do something or to stop doing something yeah not often i can't think of I mean, well, the the only time he was stopping criminal activity, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. in in the temple, yeah. because because uh, which is literally the, the Christian were, right. <laughs> well, the cops the cops were in on it. Yeah. You know, the cops were getting part of the take, and so uh, you know his, his zeal got to him there because blatant criminality was going on. But you know, er, you know, everybody came to him. You know, they came to him. They asked him his advice. He gave them their advice. You know, he didn't force them to do anything. No. You know, it's very interesting. When I write in my my book on Jews and their holy wars, um, he he was in Jerusalem, and I think it's in I think it's John chapter ten. He, he was in Jerusalem for the feast of dedication, which is Hanukkah, which is another one of those made up things that right. God never told them to do, but they did anyway because it makes them feel patriotic where they, they killed a bunch of Greeks, and so they celebrated it, and then they became Greeks after that. <laughs> Sorry, and, I'm just checking off lists of people to offend, and we Good. got to could you, Well, okay. I didn't want to miss them. All right, go ahead. Uh, any, anyway, uh, you know, it was, it's a, you know, a lot of, you know, they have a little bit to drink and everything else like that, and uh, anyway, they they get all real patriotic because it's, it's the whole thing of the Maccabeans, you know, slaughtering the Greeks and stuff like that, and it makes them really happy. 
And so that's when they came to Jesus and said, we want you to be our leader. We want you to bring the kingdom now. You know, the people there probably didn't even know he was, never even knew what he taught. They just knew he was popular, and they wanted him to bring. And he says, well, I might do it if you were my sheep, but you're not my sheep. Hmm. Oh, these were like good, upstanding Jews. You know, I mean, they had Jewish blood, they had Jewish mothers. And he says, what? He says, yeah. He says, well, I've been called for my sheep, but you're not my sheep. He says, my sheep hear my voice. I I go places, and they follow me, and they do that, but she says, you're not my sheep. And, of course, you know, they went from wanting to pick him up and make him king to they went out to uh, try to kill him. So, you know, people are a little fickle. Um, Power so, is know, fickle. Right. And so that's how that's how popular Jesus was, you know, and tried to motivate people like that, you know. Um, it, the kind of people he got really behind him were people like lepers, you know, came back and said thanks. He yeah. had lepers, prostitutes. Blind people, drunks. Tax collectors. Tax collectors. Yeah, right. cheaters. He had terrible taste in people. <laughs> I mean, Trump had taught him so much on how to screen. Because think about you know, Trump told you know, I, I walked in, I, I walk in, I see Jesus. He's with, the, he's with a prostitute. He's with a drunken person. He's with a tax collector. Yeah. You know what I think? Just sad, sad. It's just sad, <laughs> sad. Yeah, he might like the prostitute. I take that back. <laughs> that one he might, he might go for. But the, uh, the, you know, he told us. Trump said, he says one thing is going to really change. He says, because he, he always tells us how smart he is all the time. You know, yeah. pe- people who are very insecure do that. And he says, well, you know, I'm so smart. And he says, you'll see that I'll pick the very, very best people. And I know because I'm a successful businessman and I'm going to pick the best. And think about the people he's picked. Anthony Scar- Scaramucci, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Sebastian Gorka, mm-hmm. you know, the, the guy who's actually uh, he and his dad tied to that neo-Nazi group back in Hungary, mm-hmm. you know, that's being run under a almost Nazi-like leader right now, Victor Orban. Uh, you know, th- this is the kind of crowd. If you watch them on TV talk, the guys who he selected, all of them are now in trouble and it's steeped in graft from Manafort on down. They all sound like casino pit bosses. Yeah, I mean, he he does have a real they, they sort of got that, way about going things. They sort of got that swagger and that little mm-hmm. jump, like you picture them like overlooking the roulette wheel at the mm-hmm. casino. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. like they should have their their shirts buttoned down with a gold chain. But you know who and doesn't that, get kicked out is the uh, is the general. The military is running this thing. Yeah, I think the mil- well, the military continues to run this thing. Well, they don't like McMaster. You know, they don't like him because he talks about peace and diplomacy, which is a four-letter word there and stuff like that rather than dropping bombs. Uh, but, you know, you're, you're, it's a point well taken in that his chief of staff, people thought he was a voice of reason. Well, he's just a, such a nutcase as, as Trump is, and that's why he serves him. If he didn't like Trump's ideas, he wouldn't be there doing that. Th- this whole notion, oh, he's there trying to preserve this or that or whatever, keep him getting out of him. No way. He agrees completely what Trump does. And if you ever go back and really study his statements, his statements are just as loony as Trump's are. They're right. I mean, like sort of fascist-like, hardcore, steel boot down on people, dissent, things like that. He's consistent in that. So, I mean, he's not, he's, he's not you know, painfully – I mean, the, the craziest is, is that you got a group of Dr. Strange loves there. So, sure, they, they get on each other's toes because they're all unstable. But that doesn't mean that, that they don't admire each other's instability. 
<laughs> Do you think he's yeah. done anything good? Anything good? Boy. You know, he did say one thing. He said one thing that I think was extremely honest. And I, I really have to give him credit for this, and it's extremely true. He said when he was when he was running for office, he said, I could go out here and shoot a person on TV yeah. right here on Fifth it's, Avenue, and yeah. I wouldn't lose any support at all. Yeah. That was, that was and a, he's completely right. It was a very, very, very real moment, wasn't it? Where you kind of right. just realize, like, this is not a simulation. We are really living in this. This is a and celebrity who is about to be elected. <laughs> His followers, including many of those who try to teach the Bible to us, don't understand what he was saying about them. He's basically saying, yeah, these guys are a bunch of idiots and lemmings, and uh, they're such idiots and lemmings, I can call them that, and they don't even comprehend it. There's a documentary on Netflix called Get Me Roger Stone. It is a really good documentary, but it just talks about who this Roger Stone is that helped get Trump elected. And it just kind of shows you, but he, he saw the, uh, how do I put this? He saw the personality of Trump and the, and, and, and kind of led him in a direction. He's kind of the brains behind the, uh, the campaign and the, he, he's very successful at what he did. Not not, not a moral person in any way, shape or form, but a, a very fascinating person in that he understood what Trump needed to do well, to get elected and, and led him in that direction. And he's a total scoundrel. Oh, he is. Every one yeah. of them, if you look at yeah. their own individual lives oh, yeah. apart from Trump, all of them are scoundrels, and they find a common environment he's, where scoundrelty is, is appreciated. Roger Stone's literally – I think he credits himself with – what was it? Telling Nixon to, to try to, to do Watergate? Or being involved. I mean, he like literally is is around yeah. Nixon at the time that things go down. So, uh, but anyway, uh, well, hey, our our big mega church here in Nashville has Oliver North come speak every Fourth of July, and they never mention that he is a convicted criminal for uh, you know selling arms to Iran. You know, right as we had our hostages and working with Israel to sell arms, and, and was you know convicted red-handed of doing it and taking paybacks for it. I never the understood reason, how he gets the conservative Christian right pass. It's never – I see him on television, yeah. and I just, I just don't get it. Evidently, they like that. Evidently, they like it. I mean, I think they must like Trump. Uh, they envy Trump's ability to uh, sleep with prostitutes when he's got a wife at home. They probably fantasize about doing it themselves. Do you realize that, what kind of world – sorry, sorry. That's how I read it. All my Christian you know, friends and people I know that love him, I, I just assume that that's what they like. Otherwise, yeah. they'd, be proposed, they'd be opposed to him. I mean, do you realize what kind of world we live in? It wasn't that long ago. We're talking about Barry Seal, and it's a conspiracy theory. And now there's a movie starring Tom Cruise all about Barry Seal. I mean, it's just a very strange place that we've gone to. I, I, it, it blows my mind. We, uh, we all have a responsibility to go back regardless of the insanity around and I'm talking about even fellow followers of Christ, to go back to the basic principles, the basic virtues that Christ taught us in the Sermon on the Mount. When it gets crazy, we have to remember the two greatest rules, you know, the two laws and all, the law and the prophets, you know, the supremacy of the golden rule and how it always leads you right if you do it, to emphasize humility, to emphasize uh, love, to emphasize forgiveness, uh, mercy, um, 
always elevating the stranger and the weak. If we go back to those ground rules, we're in an environment where we can't even get straight information on what's going on. And if you don't mind, I have sort of a classic story that came I'm out ready. today. You probably read, but it's more classic Revelations Radio News. I, I won't go into a Trump hate fest. That's not even my interest in the story, although it does involve Trump. That's, to me, not the big part of it. The bigger point is something even bigger that's going on, and this reinforces my point about needing to get back to first principles of our values. Uh, I don't know if you happen to catch Channel 4 News over in England. Uh, this was reported over here about uh, an undercover operation they did with a hidden camera talking to the uh, Cambridge Analytica. Yeah, I did. Yeah, okay. Okay. Have you, have you talked about it with I have not. Here? No, this just came out today, so. If I could share a little bit about it, because I sent out something to my friends today that I really thought if this was not a definition of the deep state, I don't know what is. I hate using those terms anymore because the Trumpers have gotten a hold of it and Alex Jones and all these other people. So, you know, Alex Jones used to look out for the people that the guys with the batons and the uh, shields were using against. Now he's on the side of the guys with the batons and the shields. So, you know, we, we've got turncoat coats around us everywhere. Of course, a lot of people always assume that about him, and you know. But anyway, um, uh, the, the deep state is something now they've used just to try to like, you know, there may be lots of criminals in the FBI and CIA, but that doesn't mean there's not criminals that they're investigating too, and uh, they've tried to use that to try to cover for them. But this is a case I think where your imagination really does think deep stake. It's, it says, revealed Trump's election consultants filmed saying they use bribes and sex workers to entrap politicians. An undercover investigation by Channel 4 News reveals how Cambridge Analytica secretly campaigns in elections across the world. Bosses were filmed talking about using bribes, ex-spies, fake IDs, and sex workers. What they say here is it says, senior executives at Cambridge Analytica the data company that credits itself with Donald Trump's presidential victory, have promised have, have been secretly filmed saying that they can entrap politicians in compromising situations with bribes and Ukrainian sex workers. In an undercover investigation by Channel 4 News, the company's chief executive, Alexander Nix, said that the British firm secretly campaigns in elections across the world. This includes operating through a web of shadowy front companies or by using subcontractors. In one exchange, when asked about digging up material on political opponents, Mr. Nix said that they could, quote, send some girls around to the candidate's house, unquote, adding that Ukrainian girls, quote, are very beautiful. I find that works very well. In another, he said, quote, we'll offer a large amount of money to the candidate to finance his campaign in exchange for land, for instance. We'll have the whole thing recorded. We'll blank out the face of our guy and we'll post it on the Internet. Offering bribes to public officials is an offense under the U.K. Bribery Act and the U.S. Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. It says Cambridge Analytica operates in the U.K. and is registered in the United States. The admissions were filmed in a series of meetings at London hotels over four months between November 2017 and January 2018. An undercover reporter for Channel 4 News posed as a fixer for a wealthy client hoping to get candidates elected in Sri Lanka. Well, their president, Mr. Nick, Nick, told the reporter, we're used to operating through different vehicles in the shadows, and I look forward to building a very long-term and secretive relationship with you. Uh, uh, Mr. Turnbull, who is their managing director, 
um, uh, says that they described how having obtained damaging material on opponents, Cambridge Analytica can discreetly push it onto social media and the Internet. He said, we just put information into the bloodstream of the Internet and then, and then watch it grow. Give it a little push every now and then like a remote control. It has to happen without anyone thinking that's propaganda because the moment you think, moment you think that's propaganda, the next question is who put that out? Mr. Nix also said many of our clients don't want to be seen to be working with a foreign country company. So we often set up, if we're working, then we can set up fake IDs and websites. We can be students doing research projects attached to a university. We can be tourists. So there's many options we can look at. I have lots of experience in this. And it says that the Cambridge Analytica and their parent company worked in 200 elections across the world, including Nigeria, Kenya, Czech Republic, India, and Argentina. Uh, and they're the ones that were just mentioned uh, having harvested uh, over 50 million Facebook profiles. Uh, this chief executive, Mr. Nix, mis- misled a parliamentary in England select committee uh, on, on the same topic. Um, so anyway, that's just uh, a little sample. But basically what you see there, th- this is a deep state involving people who aren't even part of a state. They're, they're, they're a, a network of people who can basically raise and lower kings somewhat at will with a gullible public that doesn't vet the information that they receive. And they're not tied to any state. They're just open to the higher bidder. So a Donald Trump can hire them or a Democrat could hire them. Um, um, Vladimir Putin hires them. Any of these other guys, you know, the head of Ukraine, wherever else. Uh, and... We go right along for the ride with them. And so, you know, this really is the deep state kind of stuff uh, that we're talking about. And so the one thing that you got reliable, there's, there's one source of information that's not trying to sell you anything or make you any money, and that's the Bible. The Bible doesn't have any kind of motive. It's not selling you advertising or products. And you go in there and you just read the Sermon on the Mount, and then you start comparing one, we have a role. We are our brother's keeper. And two, when we see all this madness going on, we're going to have to distill out what are what are our basic virtues and what are kingdom virtues and what our role is in this earth. And we're going to have to uh, tune out everything else. Amen. Amen. I couldn't couldn't put it better myself. Um, it is it is interesting that as we head into this this period of uh, American history, uh, homelessness is becoming just out of the, you know, just a huge, huge uh, issue. And, uh, you know, people experiencing homelessness, I don't see a lot of compassion for that uh, in very many circles, either locally or, you know, nationally, uh, people talking about it and how to help and and what to do, um, which is interesting uh, considering you mean that hasn't been the same, the main talk that you've heard in the administration or or in your religious circles was a concern about the poor? No, I mean literally at my church there's been a conversation about it, yes, but I don't see a very big conversation about it or worry about it from other people. It's just it's a it seems to be a, a callousness. I mean my I have very lim- I mean, what how long have I ever been around 37 years? So it just feels like it's maybe i'm just getting older but it just feels more yeah. callous than it's been in the past you don't think that big tax plan will help them 
Now well, it did ra- it did raise the lowest tax bracket from ten to twelve percent, so it increased taxes by twenty percent on the on the lowest income. But look, it it did for like people in the highest bracket, it cut it in half. Right, right. So I I guess that's got to help the poor because we know the more money we give to the rich like that, that always helps the poor. <laughs> Well, it makes logical sense. We've talked about this on the show. Shoot, I believe we talked about this with you. But you know, the, one of the things that the welfare state has done is taken the onus from the church, taken the yeah. you know, onus from it, the, the. It filled the, the void. It filled the it, void it, that the Christians used to fill. You know, the compassion void that was left behind, and that's because most of the church, by being conservatives, they're Darwinist. Okay, conservatism and Darwinism are two sides of the same coin. They're they're worried about what happened in the first six days of creation. That's where their interest in Darwinism stops. They're they're concerned about what happened. You know, doesn't matter what we're doing today, but they worry about that. The Darwinism that's part of the fundamentally part of the church today is a social Darwinism that believes in unbridled capitalism which is just a euphemism for the survival of the fittest, and the same function in gunboat diplomacy. So you, you've you got the golden rule with, you know, he who has the gold makes the rules, and then you've got gunboat diplomacy, which whoever's got the biggest gun makes the rules. And they're both forms of Darwinism, of survival of the fittest. And so when Darwinism rules, you're obviously going to have contempt for anybody on the margins. You know, if we've got white Aryans that are marching toward the future, then anybody else who doesn't fit that particular paradigm, particularly people who are burdens, you know, that don't, don't have their act together, they're going to be a burden on us. So, you know, that's why the very first, um, very first executive order, the very first day that Trump did right after his inauguration, you know, he came back from the inauguration, he said the first thing he signed was at was an executive order that released financial advisors that meet with the everyday public, released them from our responsibility to look out for the interest of their clients rather than the big financial firms and banks. In other words, what they're saying is it's okay to deceive your client who's paying you for the sake of the big bank that's paying you more to sell their product. That was the thing that was job one for him to sign was to provide cover for the big financial firms against the average common folk who are trusting their financial advisor to do this. Well, it went downhill from there. And the the uh, the one thing that he takes credit for that he's really excited about and all the Christians got excited with him was this tax plan, which raised the taxes on the poor by 20% and dropped the ultra-richest taxes in half. And the Christians are so glad to be a part of that because, you know, that's what Jesus would have wanted. It's so consistent <laughs> with what he preached in the Sermon on the Mount and the principles of the kingdom. You know, bl- blessed are the corporations because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But if you believe in what they believe in, they someday will make that half tax bracket, right? That's what they're hoping. Someday uh, they'll they'll get up to that half tax bracket, you know? Yeah, that's- because... Because there's so many opportunities that Trump is making for them, yes, and and the business businesses just out of the the charity of their own good because you know they don't want that money to keep it they just want to give it away to people so you might as well give it to the rich people because 
evidently it's just got you know they do magic you give money to business people and they just get rid of cancer make everything disappear uh and and you know it's well, going to definitely make everything disappear yeah, well, it goes into paintings and the artwork. It goes into their homes, and it goes into millionaires' roll there, and you know, in Providence, Rhode Island, where you know they used to have the uh, sandboxes that were filled with rubies and diamonds yeah. for them to play in as a sandbox. So, you know, they do have a compassion, you we know, got, for people. We got a neighborhood around here, just on the other side of the lake, Lake Washington, called Medina. It's a. Uh, it might make that Rhode Island community look look. Uh, yeah. Well, a lot of big money moved up in uh, Microsoft world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, Paul it's a, Allen, Microsoft, you know, Bill, Bill yeah. Gates, and all kinds. Well, of one thing we know that is of the devil is if we had a raise to the uh, minimum wage, we know that would invite the gates of hell into our country if people, you know, had a dignified wage. You so know. we've got to put all our Christian effort to put a stop to that. <laughs> you know, I wish my good my good friend Andrew Hoffman was here to 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 talk to you about that. He's not a, he's not a big fan of raising the minimum wage. Well, well, he didn't want to see those people have ten dollars an hour. <laughs> Andrew Hoffman needs somebody to pull his rickshaw for him. How's he going to afford afford all that? The guy, you know? for, he certainly isn't of it for that reason. Let let so. them eat cake. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, you. You don't want them having that wretched excess that ten dollars an hour will provide. You, no, you know, just, it's, it's all going. It's all going to crack. One hundred percent to crack. It's, a, <laughs> it's. I shouldn't even have brought it up since he's not here to defend himself. But I think he just says that you know the minimum wage by raising it, it it's it it it, it messes up uh, the economy a bit. And it if it's going to be higher, it needs to be higher for everybody. Well, if they're already making more than that anyway. You know, I, I, you know, here, let me just make a little point about this. If people think I've gotten more liberal, say la vie, I don't care. I, I just have been reading the Bible more and more, and I think about what Jesus said, and that's starting to affect me a little bit more. Uh, you know, the thing about government, this is what the libertarians taught me, okay? I, it, you know, I, you know they, they might be Ayn Rand, um, Jesus haters, but they did teach me a few things, and, and, uh, um, See where where was I going with that? I don't um, know. We're we're libertarian. Or, they, well, at least yeah, the, the anarchical the libertarians. Here. Yeah, the, the libertarians have uh, have taught me some things, and that is um, about the intrusion of government and being careful about when the government gets involved in things, and that you know you've got other collections of people and assemblies that can do other functions for society. Those have to be government. But through that, I began realizing that government is basically its only real unique purpose that you need it for is to have a force of coercion. It's, it's a force yeah, of coercion when a is. collective of a society says they need it. Yep. And they need it so people are bullies and don't run over everybody. They, they have a collective to, to coerce people through the police who hopefully try to restore peace and try to see people from, like, hitting people in the head with hammers or motorcycle gangs coming in and taking over. They, they're supposed to stop that. It's coercion through the courts, which means that they, when, when they pass laws, they mean business, and there's going to be consequences. And then we have a corrections group, which is really, really more the, the law enforcement because they enforce the penalties on it. But anyway, those things are all – there's just a couple things like that that are real legitimate coercion. Uh, but really, the reason why we have government 
and have that form of coercion is because there are other forms of coercion that we hire them to stop. If there were not other forms of coercion, we wouldn't need their coercion to keep it under check. You know, they wouldn't need a posse and they wouldn't need a sheriff in a town if there weren't uh, rustlers coming through, you know, raising heck in town. And so one thing that the libertarians miss, and a lot of my thinking Christians miss, and I missed for a long time, is that while they hate the coercion of government, and by definition that's what it is, what they forget is the other kinds of coercion in our society that are so much more subtle that, that the government doesn't have a corner on the market in the coercion business. And one big one is economic coercion, and I know even Andrew Hoffman can understand that that we live in a society of blatant economic coercion. It's coercion. Capitalism by nature is people with capital basically define the environment for everybody else. Define the That's how it works. Uh, but there's also more subtle ways. Not only do they control all the levers of the environment of how people work or what they do, uh, they also exploit people who are basically ignorant, people who are ignorant of papers that they're signing and documents and things like this. And, and, a, and a complete libertarian would say, well, there shouldn't be any kind of disclaimers in this paperwork or they have to sign mm-hmm. that this rate goes up 10% in two years. They, you know, it's a free country. They shouldn't be forced to say that. It's up to them, due diligence. Well, you know, there are people who uh, have big mental uh, shortcomings and uh, mental disabilities. Should we just let them roam the streets? You know, because we don't, you know, we don't want to force them to do anything. Why, why should that be beholden for us to be looking at and being our brother's keeper? And so there, there's these other forces of coercion in our society, and it takes media, everything. Else, there's all these forms, and so government does have a purpose to be a coercive force to balance the other forces of conver- uh, of coercion in society. Ideally, we'd have no co- coercion. I would like an environment where everybody's free moral agent, and you know that makes me a radical reformer like the Anabaptists. I think everybody ought to do their own thing. Yeah, I'm at, and, I'm, at, I'm at minimum a philosophical anarchist myself. Yeah, I mean, everybody should do their own thing. The problem is there's bullies everywhere, and bullies take all sorts of forms and all sorts of ways of bullying, and we need to have people who stop the bullies, and hall monitors and people like that. And so... Uh, you know, while I hate coercion from the government, I also hate coercion by everybody else. And I'd, I'd like to sort of balance balance it. And then maybe when there's a standoff, then maybe I can get about to my business. So that's just something to think about, something I've been thinking about. I like it, Dr. Future. I like it. As always, it's, it's, uh, it's good to talk to you, good to, to pick your brain. You made me stop and think about a lot of stuff. You know, we end up being somewhat pro-Trump on this show just because we're surrounded by people who, you know, think that everything he does is, is atrocious and that, you know, he's racist. And uh, there, I do believe that the the establishment, whether it's the deep state or what, are using him to, to further divide the nation. And it feels at this moment more divided than ever. Um, and it, and it, you can't talk to either side about what might be going okay in the White House at this point or what might be you know wrong with the White House at this point. It's just so divided and bar- bipartisan, or uh, not bipartisan, but partisan, um, 
it's getting to the point, and Andrew pointed this out on our last show, it's getting hard to actually have rational conversations with people because they're so, you know, amped up with their, you know, belief, whether it's becoming from, you know, this side of the aisle or that. Um, and so it's been, uh, it's been, you know, we've been trying to bring some sort of level headedness to this, but, uh, it's, it feels like a nation divided. It feels like kind of divide and conquer and divided yeah. about a lot of stuff that doesn't really in at least my book make a lot of sense. You know, the whole Russians through the election thing is just a bunch of baloney. I think Hillary Clinton, well, hey, Hillary Clinton I, did that on her own without even I just, any help. I from, just, I just wrote a 788-page book on Russia and their holy wars, mm-hmm. and I believe when you read it, you may have a different view of things. Maybe, but I'm, I don't think that they heavily influenced this election. I just don't. Well, you, 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 don't, you don't have to push idiots very far. I'll give you credit for that. Okay, they, they don't need they don't need much help. You know, a dog returns to its vomit. You don't have sure. to direct it to it. But uh, uh, what I have seen amongst many of my Christian friends is that they rightfully see the ugliness in the history of our of our country with the CIA and FBI and that kind of stuff. Some of them have gone back to listen to Sean Hannity and Fox News and stuff like that. And they're they're getting their Tokyo Rose uh, indoctrination. But but they uh, uh, they hate that, and so what they do is they run into the arms of another lover and say, whoever's the enemy of my enemy is my friend, and they've run right into the loving arms of Vladimir uh, Putin, and guys like uh, guys who I sort of like, like uh, Paul Craig Roberts and others, yep. who really influence some of my closest friends, ha- have a love affair of Russia simply because they're not America. Right. And I have to—I hate to tell you—just because you find one bad guy and you find some rival to him, that doesn't mean he's a good guy. Absolutely not. Okay? Putin is not a good guy. That is something we talked about on this show before. Everybody's starting to think Putin is a good—he's not a good guy. In well, wait, any you know, way, you're not a form. good Christian. You're the Christian media. I—I I recorded. They said he's the lion of Christianity. Wow, that's ridiculous. Now I believe it's the lion part, but that comes from his, uh, <laughs> you know. His KGB past. You you don't know the half of it. Be, I look forward when you read what I what I, I've written. I look forward to that too. That fundamental. There's, look, uh, Alistair Crowley's a part of it. Let me put that part of it. it, it directly influence in uh, in the Russian Orthodox Church is right square in the middle of it. You know, for all the things I had to say you about the, skip the over religious Rasputin, right, could you? Well, uh, the guy that I'm referring to that's the bridge between them is actually Putin's Rasputin. His name's Alexander Dugan. I've heard He's of called him. Putin's brain, and he yeah. is the he is the uh, ideologue for the Eurasian belief of Vladimir Putin. And he's also good buddies with Alex Jones. And uh, big long beard. He's definitely got that Rasputin wild-eyed look to him. And he is steeped in the occult. To be clear, though. I, again, want to go back to say Hillary Clinton and the Democratic Party could totally lose that election in 2016 without any help from the Russians. Uh, yeah, and what's, what's crazy is that, uh, in hindsight, as much as I'm not into her at all and didn't vote for her, uh, it makes that look like the good old days to me of the, <laughs> the total nightmare 
that I feel like we're living right now as far as just taking the Christian witness through the mud. You know, yeah. I, I don't care. I don't care about the, as much about the tax rates except when it hurts the poor. Sure. I don't care about how much is putting money in my pocket or it's helping me or I feel really good because we bombed a bunch of nations and we're number one. And I'm going to wave the flag. I don't care about any of that. Okay. I care about our Christian witness. Are, 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 do we have any kind of respect in our society about what we teach that they know we really love them hmm. and they know we love them enough and they can beat the tar out of us and we're not just sitting here worried about our rights and our privileges as Christians but worried about everybody else's rights and we don't mind if they beat us up or take us away. We're going to care about the other people that get beat up. I want to maintain that kind of reputation and, and people understand that I love them and my fellow Christians love them. So we can do the kingdom business. That's the only thing that's going to last after all this other stuff burns up. I tell you, the Republican Party is going to burn up along the Demo- alongside of the Democratic Party. And our reputation and what we do for the kingdom is the only thing that's going to matter or stick around. So we better be caring about who we get behind and what we say and what they do. And does it line up with helping us get more people off of this sinking ship before it goes down? Every time you go on a, a monologue like that, I, I have a hard time following it up and trying to wrap it up. Sometimes I just feel like we should just fade out. <laughs> well, maybe I just said shut up. As always, I have no opinions. Two, two, you know, three, go ahead. I've been in here like the Unabomber, you know, writing my manifesto here in the uh, in the shack here for several years. But I haven't disappeared. That's great. And I'm I'm spending a lot of time thinking, and I'm trying to really get, you know, having been raised in church my life, get cozier with the Sermon on the Mount and with the teaching of the kingdom. You know, what's the ABCs of what he's trying to get us to do, the reliability of the prophets. And and I'm tired of carrying water for anything else. I've got, you know, my bucket, I got Jesus, and, you know, I got the gospel in there. And the, and the good news of the kingdom and everything else has gotten to get thrown out of the bucket. And that means um, my denomination. It means uh, any of my pet, you know, political views. It means any other kind of thing I got to carry for somebody else. There's not room for that in Jesus in there. And, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that in a gloating. I'm just saying that's my goal. And it's hard because I got a lot of crap in there. Okay. And I bet your, your listeners got a lot of crap, too. And, uh Sometimes our Christian friends just add more crap in there rather than help us dig it out. And uh, it's not it's not Jesus' fault. Let's not blame Jesus for it. But we owe it to him to, to get our act together. And I'm the first one that needs to do that. So There's a documentary a few years ago called Lord Save Us From Your Followers. I haven't seen, yeah. it. I haven't seen it in a while, but it, it, it kind of rings true to what we're talking about here. A couple of very, very quick, lighthearted things. One... I don't know if you have Netflix or whatever, but I need you. I don't, I don't, do you have a pen and paper there? I need you to write this. Yeah. Th- I need you to write this down. Black okay. Black Mirror. Black Mirror. Okay. Yes. Just just oh. trust me on this. It's this is uh, it's, not a, a racist kind of no, thing. No, it's it? the it's new a... it's the new generation of the Twilight Zone slash oh, wow. Outer Limits movies. This is our generation's version of it, and it's different looks. Every episode's a totally different thing, and it's different looks at technology and how it's now, affecting us. Now, you know, I usually don't watch anything made after about 1972. I know, so. but just trust me on this. Okay. You need to watch some episodes of Black Mirror. I think it would. I think I think I actually think you'd enjoy them. Every time is I, it every, like is it like Black Caesar? 
I don't know what that is, but I'm or just telling you right Black, now. Or like uh, Blackula or Blackenstein? No, no, nothing to do with any of that. Okay. okay. All right. <laughs> Another two things, very small things. One, how hilarious was it to watch people freak out over uh, people not kneeling down during the national anthem? I mean, can you talk about misguided uh, uh, worries? <laughs> It's a microcosm of a, a bigger situation. Absolutely. You know, G- Jesus told the Pharisees, which are the closest historical example we have to the religious right, he, he told them, he says, you know, you, you tithe your tenth of your different spices and things, but he says you neglect the weightier matters of the law, like justice and mercy and mm. blah, blah, blah. And first of all, fundamental uh, literalist of which I've been most of my life, fundamentalists like that cannot understand that there's such a thing as weightier matters of the law. They they give them all equal gravity, and they don't even visualize that there could be a conflict. Like, for example, when when Jesus walked through the cornfield, and and they were hungry, and they started eating ears of corn, and here comes the religious right, I mean Pharisees. Well, (laughs) look, you're... You're eating that corn. It's the Sabbath day. You know you can't do that, which really, you know, that's all their traditions added in, but they couldn't tell the difference. And and Jesus said, you know, well, David did. David it. ate the show David bread. ate the show bread. You know, I don't hear you complaining about David, you know. And there are the weightier matters of the law. We're worried about somebody not idolizing and worshiping a flag, you know. I mean, what really think about a Christian? You know, Jesus said no man can serve two masters. You know, you'll you'll serve one and hate the other. When you pledge allegiance, you pledge open ended allegiance without any kind of stipulations on it. What's how's Jesus feel? What if what if I went and found another woman at church when I'm sitting there with Mrs. Future and I just pledged allegiance to that woman? Say you know, say no, 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 say it, no oaths. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Yeah. What if I just told that woman like, yeah, whatever you want from me, you have it. You know, it'd be one thing to say, you know, I'll pass the plate to you when it goes down the pew or whatever like that. But if I just said, oh, I just anything you want, I'm here. I'm totally just to you. How do you think Mrs. Future would feel next to me? Well, I, I know Mrs. Future, and I'd be scared for your safety. Well, I, yeah, that's right. Well. It'd be like sinners in the hands of an angry God. <laughs> and and that's how we are with Jesus. We make all these oaths. You know, people people make these oaths to the military. And, you know, you better read the story of Jephthah when it comes to making oaths. You know, those are meant to be kept. And you make an oath and somebody tells you to burn that village full of villagers in it. Um, you know, you made that oath to it. You know, you got you got a problem. Before, you just answered to God. And now you're answering to somebody else. And, uh, you know, that other person will throw you in the brig if you don't do what they say. Jesus, he could do a lot more to you when you do it. So since you brought that up, there's my there's uh, your bigoted two, opinion. There's your That's two cents on, on that yeah. one. Well, the, and the yeah. last one, very, 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 very minor. But this year, when the Alabama Crimson Tide won yet another national championship behind a quarterback that had not even played the entire season. I thought Nick Saban had just pulled the greatest trick play I'd ever seen, and I felt a little bit of happiness for a certain Mrs. Future. So I just wanted to, to, to share that with you, even though you know most of the rest of uh, us college football fans were rent, renting at our clothes and tra- <laughs> just ripping our clothes. It, it was like the New Jerusalem had come down in the in the 
household here, the future household, because there'd been wailing and gnashing of teeth yes. otherwise. Yeah. Hey, talk about worship and idolatry. Uh, I do have a spouse who has declared allegiance, uh, you know, to whoever's the coach at Alabama. Yes. And also Bear Bryant. Yes. And, and then comes Pyro and then comes me. Okay. So I'm like I'm like the satrap of the household. You right. know, I'm not I'm not the prince, but you know. I have my little fiefdom, which is basically the lint balls around here that answer to me. That's about it. Well, like I said earlier, there was several people I called ahead of you, to, you know, to try and find somebody to do this podcast. And you could, and you could not get Doc Marquis on short notice. <laughs> Couldn't get anybody. What no. What about the fire uh, fireman prophet? <laughs> I, I hang on every word he says. You know, I have pitched my Bible in the fire, and I just if. <laughs> The fireman prophet says it. I believe it. That settles it. Mm-hmm. In fact, you know, he's already said that uh, in the next Trump term that that Trump himself is going to cure Alzheimer's and cancer. Oh, good. Thank goodness. So you can you can take that to the bank. I'm ready for it. I'm ready. It's yeah. gonna it's gonna help. It's gonna help. Yeah. Doctor Future, it's always a pleasure. I I really do appreciate you coming on such late notice, and uh, I know you weren't feeling great, but you sounded as. Uh, as crazy as normal erudite as, as always uh, truly appreciate you being on here and uh, Andrew I didn't even tell Andrew that this is happening so he'll have a little little kick a little bit of surprise something to listen to but uh, his, his he fit <laughs> well, why don't we just do a show sometime called how Andrew Hoffman is wrong and set aside three or four hours are you available tomorrow and, uh, night I'm ready to do this yeah, now no, I'm about to do a lot of research because I've been taking notes for years so I need we'll just Go through it point by point. In all seriousness, we'll have to do a show in which uh, Andrew and uh, you can actually be on at the same time. And I'll try to just sit here and, and mute it and uh, let my dog run around here on the wood floor and, and listen to you guys it, talk. It'll be huge. It'll be huge. <laughs> all right. Well, without further ado, Dr. Future, thanks again for dropping by on such short notice. It's always a pleasure. And Can, uh, can you tell them two spies report? Oh, please, oh, please, please, go ahead. I, I haven't posted there forever because uh, I've been really busy trying to trying to write about Waleed Shobot now and all the other uh, oh, fake Is, is he uh, still out there talking about there. things? Uh, it's like athlete's foot. These people just don't go away. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, they're okay. still around. Okay. Uh, but uh, anyway, come come read my rantings on there. Too sp- when I just cannot take it anymore, I put something up there. And then I've got this one guy who always tries to torment me on there. He's my thorn in the flesh. You'll enjoy him at least. Uh, com. And uh, if you are really worried about my soul or something, like some of the old listeners of Future Quake, just send to Dr. Future, drfuture at futurequake.com. And you can do a pulse of denura curse ceremony against me with your favorite rabbi or whatever you want to do. Hey, they did it to John Kerry, yeah. so why not me? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Our good old friends over there in Israel did well, that in the I cemetery. Mean, weren't you in a famous documentary where you dug up William Tisdale's bones and vanished and, and cursed yeah. them? Yeah. Well, well, actually, uh, it, it, uh, our old friend Tom Bionic actually strangled William Tyndall, played by Robert Hyde at the stake. <laughs> and then they massacred our whole church. <laughs> and then didn't, yeah. you, didn't you dig them up and curse the bones? Yes, in a bell book <laughs> candle ceremony. Yeah, nobody even knows what we're talking about at this point. Just, just a just a typical church service at my church. <laughs> I wore a black robe. I was called the Mad Monk. 
I got to slap a girl because she wouldn't take the host, the sacred host. But at least I didn't stab a baby. One of the elders at our church actually stabbed a baby with a uh, uh, <laughs> bayonet on the ground. What do you think a new listener thinks at this point? <laughs> I hope that's all they heard was just that. And come visit our church. You can see it at futurequake.com. I can introduce you to the guy. He sat right behind me in church yesterday, the guy who bayoneted the baby. Oh he's gosh, a great, he's a great guy. I'm surprised he's on the Trump administration. I should, I, I should isolate that line and put it at the beginning of the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You could just have that when you have a collage and you do a commercial for your show. There was a documentary made called "Lamp in the Dark" for those that aren't in the know, and his yeah. church participated. Yeah. But holy cow! I got conned into doing it. <laughs> Excuse me, I haven't laughed that hard in a long time. Yeah. I don't know. Should I wrap up the show? Do you have anything else? If you want to see a real Christian documentary, <laughs> yes. you can see this on YouTube. Watch okay. 1971. If footmen tire you, what will horses do? Okay. And you're going to see women in big hair led out of big whitewashed Pentecostal churches in Mississippi and get machine gunned by people from pretending to be uh, Cubans. Okay. It doesn't get any better than that. You see a kid's head cut off, and it's a good Christian film. We talked about it on Future Quake, but if you have you have watched it, uh, Tim, you need to put that on your list. Okay. If footmen tire you, what will horses do? It's straight out of the Bible. Straight out of the Bible. Okay. The same people they did a film of Grim Reaper had uh, Jack Van Impey and Jerry Falwell at it. Interesting. Yeah. So, well, there you go. It's never boring when you're on the show. Man, I thought we were just getting warmed up. We've only <laughs> been going for, what, two hours and 20 minutes? Yeah, two I'd, I'd like to start expressing myself. I've got some opinions I want to share. <laughs> if you want to keep going, I, I think we got to wrap it up. It's got to be late there. Well, I was just starting to get riled up. I want to say some provocative things, but I guess I'll hold on to that. <laughs> That's, enough, hey, with, enough with the pleasantries. My checklist of offending everybody is pretty full over here, so I think we're, we're all good. Mission accomplished. I'll send, new, I'll send you a new list. Okay. I'm reading some book about Amway or Scamway or whatever you call it, so we can start on them next time. <laughs> Sounds awesome. Yeah. Thank, thank you again. You're a good man, a good friend, and I really love talking to you. This has been great. And I'm glad to hear the uh, the new member in the family there too. I hope you're getting them trained in the podcasting too. <laughs> and you need, you need to get them early into it, okay? okay? So just get them on the microphone, even if they eat the microphone, just get them on there. But uh, to everybody out there, peace, love, and Bobby Sherman. copy of this podcast, as well as links to each story covered, are available at revelationsradionews.com. To contact Andrew and Tim, or to support Revelations Radio News, please visit revelationsradionews.com and click on the Contact tab or Support tab. Please check out the other podcasts at revelationsradionetwork.com. And thank you for your support of this podcast.
one of the elders at our church actually stabbed a baby 